Hello and welcome to the Fit and Feminist podcast with fitness and nutrition coaches Lauren and Lindsay. Our aim is to educate and empower women to take control and rebuild confidence with their health, fitness and lives. We have the fitness facts and no-nonsense nutrition tips you need for success with a hefty dose of feminism thrown in. With top bands and massive oversharing along the way, we hope you finish each episode feeling a step closer to the life and results you deserve. If you'd like more of us or have a question you'd like answering on the podcast, you can message us at Lauren Randall Fitness and at Lindsay Wells PT and Nutrition. All right, let's get started. Hi, Lindsay. Hello, my love. How are you? I'm fine. I love that we have a little fake conversation at the start of the podcast when we've literally <laughs> just done a 10 minute catch up on lives and your car incident and the rain yeah well it's all really boring stuff isn't it that nobody needs to know about really so and also some of my clients already know about my car dramas so I'm not going to bore anybody with with that today um but yeah not helped by how rainy and awful it's been and yeah just one of those days isn't it Mm-hmm. very wet very wet indeed so we wanted to cover today some questions that had been asked in sessions and um, through Instagram. So thank you for sending questions in. Yep. Um, and there is a sort of recurring theme about belly fat, uh, hormones and um, bulking and toning. Yes, the questions we get asked every week. Yeah. So... We'll start with what is first on the list, and that is, why do I lose fat from my chest and not my belly? Mm. So, we cannot choose where we lose our body fat from. Dun, 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 dun. Mm-hmm. Um, our genetics determine where we're going to cling on to fat for the longest, where we're going to lose fat from first. We don't get a say in that, unfortunately. Um so no matter how many sit-ups and crunches you do, it's not going to target belly fat. You ca- you cannot specifically train a certain area of body fat. You can't determine that. It's just all over fat loss when you're in a calorie or energy deficit. And where that comes from is determined by genes. So if that's your chest first and your belly last, that is the hand that you have been dealt with, basically, as it is. So typically for women, they generally hold their body fat sort of thighs and bum area and typically for men they hold it around their midline but that's not always the case and also yeah age determined as well isn't it so that can change throughout life mm-hmm. depending on hormonal levels as well for women especially yeah i think we did have a question come in about belly fat and why it's particularly hard to lose now that she's in menopause and when we hit menopause our estrogen levels drop and that's when body fat can redistribute and move towards the midline so if you didn't normally hold the body fat around your belly and then you go into menopause and realize you're clinging on to belly fat now that's because of your hormones and estrogen levels have taken a nosedive and that's now where you store it again it's not something that you can help i mean you can go on hrt to help symptoms with menopause resistance training high protein diet calorie deficit all of those things for fat loss but you cannot decide to just remove belly fat yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that's it. Lifestyle factors, especially for menopausal weight gain around the middle, that is a typical, the apple, inverted commas, apple shape. Um, 
that you do commonly see with perimenopause, menopausal women, and um, that also is not helped by all the things that women lean on when they're stressed, typically. Mm. Um, So, you know, cutting down on alcohol and high sugar, like chocolate, you know, highly processed foods um, and smoking, you know, lifestyle factors can really affect that as well. So if it's the case of, you know, wanting to lose fat around the middle at that time in life, then there are things really that we need to be looking at um, because alcohol is just not helping anyone as much fun as it is, I'm afraid. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, like weight loss or body fat loss is more difficult during menopause for lots of reasons with energy and sleep and lifestyle factors that you've just mentioned um but the exact same principles apply it's just applying them harder and more consistently but it is it's the same principles um so yeah i think that answers the question of why am i not losing belly fat first unfortunately yeah i mean blame your parents yeah yeah (laughs) it is genetics and we you know we're all different and it's just you know as much as you and I'm not like hyping up the Kardashians at all ever in the world because they're probably my least favorite people. Sorry, controversial. You're not um, keeping up with them then? No, I'm definitely not. <laughs> keeping up with them. Only the Yorkshire Kardashians because they're fun. Um, so you know this, you know the sort of trend towards like the tiny waist, big bum, which used to be again the sort of inverted commas pear shaped body. Um, as much as I ever might have wanted more curves, I accept that my body is a tube. (laughs) (laughs) There is no amount of anything that I'm going to do to change my genetics and my bone structure and that my, you know, my hips, like I am the shape I am and Mm. you are all the shape that you are. So, you know, (laughs) suck it up. Yeah. 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 Um, you can always improve on or, you know, change the sort of composition of your body. Um, like Lauren said, you know, building more lean mass will improve the look of um, said bingo wings or muffin top or whatever other silly descriptive words. Horrible phrases, yeah. Yeah, yeah. To, um, to criticise ourselves with. Um, but, yeah, I think it's just trying to focus on... Firstly, accepting that you can't change a specific area of your body in terms of where you will lose fat if you naturally store it on your upper arms, if you naturally store it on your hips, wherever that is, that's always going to be the sticking point. And I think just trying to neutralise your thoughts and feelings about that specific area of your body and trying to just accept it and just make yourself feel as good about yourself as possible and focus on something else. Yeah, that's exactly what I said in my um, body image podcast the other day was don't stand in the mirror and stare at the body part that you're not loving. You know, don't pinch yeah. it, poke it, prod it, pull at it, stretch it, smush it, like, and go, oh, it's gross. Oh, look at that. What, like, who is that helping? It's not, it's not helpful. No, so. not at all. And I think, yeah, we, we were talking about, you know, on, on the other podcasts, like, focusing more into things that you can um change which is again lifestyle factors and getting out in fresh air and um doing things that are more positive for your health and then celebrating the fact that you're doing more positive things for your health rather than making it about it coming from a place of negativity or self 
self-loathing yeah. um, or, a, you know, a specific body area that you're not doing things out of punishment. You're more doing it out of celebration of what your body can do and wanting to nurture it as a whole. Um, we only get one. So <laughs> do you want to spend all your life or half of it worrying about what a specific part of it looks like? Or do we just try and focus on actually what it does for us? And um, I think you're the 10, you're sort of naming 10 things that, or however many, a little yeah. list of things that you're really happy and grateful for that your body does and gives you every day is really useful. Yeah. Amen. Bridge. Um, yeah. Next is, should I lift lighter weights and more reps for better toning? Shall I take this one? You can start. <laughs> I'll start and you can just jump on in. Yeah. <laughs> this is an old myth of lift lighter weights for more reps. So pick up the little dumbbells and go for 30 million reps and you'll tone better than if you pick up heavy weights and you'll suddenly turn into Arnold Schwarzenegger and bulk up massive. <laughs> so it's not, that's not true. So basically toning is building muscle and losing body fat so if you lose body fat and you haven't built muscle you won't have the toned appearance that you're referring to if you build muscle and don't lose body fat you won't have the toned appearance that you're looking for so what we need to do is build muscle and lose body fat to show that muscle that is toning essentially and to build muscle we need to lift heavy uh, whatever that is to you so the heaviest weight that you can with good form for the rep range that you're after typically 8 to 15 reps ish depending on what your goal is um, but as heavy as you can essentially and that looks different to everybody you know one person might be able to do five kilo overhead presses and they're like that's you know killer for five uh, for 10 reps someone else is whacking out 20 kilos for 10 reps it doesn't matter as long as you're hitting that same fatigue point yeah you it's it's more about the how you stimulate that muscle and that growth and I think sometimes um you, I always sort of use a, a guide with my clients of sort of the last two or three reps being quite tough mm-hmm. like not impossible but a push um, at that weight so we sort of will start obviously with a little bit of a lower weight and then build it up and make sure that right if you're knocking x amount of reps out you know depending on the, sort of again what our goal and focus is in that particular session uh, and you're getting to this number really easily we know we're working too light for you today um, and then it's also you know based on sort of a feedback loop with yourself if you're training alone or with your coach as to like how did you feel the next day did you have any delayed onset muscle soreness um were you absolutely unable to walk down the stairs like have you overcooked it no, so you want to be getting that protein synthesis. You want to be getting that muscle muscle stimulation, and also we we want to support that with um, good nutrition and uh, adequate protein in there as well. Yeah, I think there's just like a bit of a fear amongst particularly women that if they lift heavy weights, they're going to suddenly just get absolutely jacked. And for one, getting absolutely jacked is the goal. Like for me, I'm like that's amazing. Like if you see people who are jacked you know they've put work in there they they have grafted for that it takes effort you've got to be smashing the weights consistently for a long time hitting your nutrition right getting your protein in and and staying consistent and going for it for a good amount of time you can't accidentally bulk up no and i think what you're saying about this sort of the 
bul- the bulking like I don't, I don't want to I don't want to go too heavy because I don't want to bulk up and I've got this you know there's been this narrative with a couple of um people I've spoken to and it also comes unfortunately from like partners husbands who are a little bit like oh you want to be careful with what you're lifting there you don't want to get bulky it's like what do you think is going to happen like she's deadlifting you should be happy that she's feeling strong and, and building confidence um so yeah I have a little bit of an uh, yeah well it. I have a story for you so I have a client who told me the other day that her partner's mother so her mother-in-law used to go to the gym and train and then her husband said I don't like the way that the gym is making you look so she stopped and hasn't been back since because he didn't like that she was growing muscle and all this other stuff was going on but yeah I was like oh no like it's the behind the scenes isn't it and it's not something unfortunately we can really yeah it's just old (laughs) people's thoughts and telling them off (laughs) yeah it's a tricky one isn't it but yeah and I I, I also had a friend whose mum would be like you're looking a bit butch (laughs) honestly I'm like I, I did what? a shocked face there. They can't see. They can't see that. But that was a chin to the floor yeah, moment. Honestly, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, I think like you said, it takes so much time and dedication and consistency and that continual um, stimulation and um, overload um, to 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 really build any kind of lean mass over time. Um, and also, again in line with nutrition that is adequate, in line with your energy needs, that you can see the definition if that's what you want. Um, I think that's the thing that people sort of get a bit mixed up about maybe sometimes is if they see an athlete, say, who is um, on a bulking phase, Mm. (laughs) which some people would argue is (laughs) just an excuse to pile (laughs) food in. and you know they're actually doing an organized phase of like you know putting on um a, a taking in extra calories surplus calories to requirements in order to you know really um amplify um a goal a training goal or a strength a strength goal that then they sort of correlate that maybe with um that look mm-hmm. of being you know also retaining more water and glycogen and um yeah rather than thinking about what general population are doing which is just you know trying to get a bit stronger look like they actually are doing exercise and they want to look and feel firmer um and also trying to support that with with good nutrition um so yeah i think just just trying to make sure that rather than thinking about that old sort of 1980s (laughs) 1990s do 500 bicep curls with a two kilo um dumbbell yeah um actually thinking about what am i getting out of this session how am i feeling while i'm doing it what is my body's response to it thereafter um yeah and if if you don't work with a coach who's tracking and logging everything for you then make sure that you are tracking and logging your weights each each week and how you felt and your sets and your reps so that you can progressively overload you Lindsay dropped in progressive overload in there a minute ago and it's important to build muscle which is as we know very important not just for aesthetics but for lots of things um you you need progressive overload so over time you need to be constantly 
like your body needs to adapt to something so it needs to be put under that strain so you need to be lifting heavier at least every kind of couple weeks or slow the reps down or more reps or more sets or or whatever it is but keeping track of that so that you're not doing you know 20 kilo bench press for six months there's got to be a change. Yeah, completely. And it's so easy. Like when I train alone, I don't know about you, but if you don't record it somehow, if you don't make some note of it to go, oh, what did I do last week? How many, I can't remember how many reps I did now. I can't, did I do five sets? Did I do, how many sets did I do? So you, and it is important because you want to be pushing that bar because you, you want to, you know, you're doing the work, like you want to get the gains from it as well. Um, the other thing that I was going to add is like asking you the question, yourself the question of why do I not want to take up more space mm. in this world? Oof. You know, again, we are not in 1980s, 1990s anymore. It is not heroin chic. It is not, you know, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels or whatever Kate Moss. I've got a problem with Kate Moss, clearly. <laughs> She's been uh, brought up a couple of times, this Kate Moss. Then we need to have a word. Proper trigger. Um, yeah, it, it, you know, I coming back to that thing of doesn't matter your your sort of your your body shape is your body shape work with what you've got um but also you know we should now be if your goal is to be stronger to um feel good in yourself to feel empowered and have a strong body and a healthy body and be fitter and more active and thinking about your future then take up your space Mm. fill your bloody space Mm. stop trying to make yourself smaller yeah, and that's with growing muscle to get bigger or to stop constantly trying to be more and more lean all the time. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we are brought up to be, you know, small, pretty little girls in little dresses and all of that. And we could do... I mean, I will go into this a lot probably across the podcast. Because, mm, episode is on its way. <laughs> yeah, smashing patriarchy one episode at a time. But, yeah, that is kind of drilled into us from birth. And so we need to undo what we've learned and what we think is right. You know, women are terrified of gaining body fat and they're terrified of not bouncing back after having a baby. And it's like, what is what is the, the big deal? Like, yeah, if you're obese, there's some complications down the line if you carry too much body fat, yada, yada, yada. But typically, women are drilling themselves into the ground to constantly keep losing more and more body fat when they're at a pretty healthy body fat level as it is um and for what they're just out of fear because they think they won't be as respected or as liked or as attractive and that's when we start looking into you know people's internalized weight biases and weight stigmas and and all of that and i love how we can go from talking about toning to uh internalized weight bias but here we are but it's yeah. important to well, challenge I mean, that it, narrative I mean, in our heads. Like, what are you scared of? Like, if you're a size 10, why are you scared of being a size 12? Why is that so wrong? Why is that so bad? Or 14 or 16, whatever it is, the number is irrelevant. But like, what is it that your fear is around that? Yeah. Health health aside, like what, what, you know, people need to ask themselves that question or what, what are they scared of by growing muscle? Are they worried that society's going to look at them in a different way you know like oh god i'm fucking sick of the way that society feels that we should be and should look and that's why yeah. i've made so much progress with my own journey but like now i'm like i really just want to get women to a place where they can also just not care anymore about yeah. 
what other people, what they think other people are thinking about them, what they should look like and all of that. It's just exhausting. Yeah, it is. I mean, I don't know what, what you... So my, again, my sort of age group, which is a lot of the people that I, I train as well, is the whole size, you know, the size zero thing. Mm. Yeah, and that was like, oh, like size zero. It's yeah. like, what are we doing? That That number is like the holy grail. that's what and like now you look back and you think but it was like a marker of seemingly you know success bonkers absolutely bonkers but i think those um those feelings and that sort of goal is still a lingering um niggle in the back of a lot of women's minds it's like well i should be this like not but you know buying clothes in a size 10 for example because you think you should be a size 10, even though you will then never wear it because you, your body doesn't fit in that clothing. Yeah. And actually, like, what does it matter? No, are, you, are, you, are people going around checking the number in your clothes? No, they're not. You know, and also, maybe you're having to buy a bigger size top because you've got hench lats. <laughs> yeah, back games, bro. To celebrate. Maybe it's <laughs> absolutely. absolutely massive. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I've got a friend who's a fashion designer who mentioned about wanting to, um, like one of her kind of goal things that she'd love to do is start a line that didn't have numbers as clothing, uh, what do you call it, like markers, because there's so much attachment to it. You know, I have had women come to me that are like, oh God, this is so embarrassing, but I've gone to a size in my, you know, whatever dress. And I'm like, that isn't embarrassing. And they've, they've got such deep rooted shame about being a certain size. And yeah, yeah it's, um, it's a work in progress. Uh, yeah, a massive one. And we obviously will be um, covering these topics again and trying to give people some guidance and cues and maybe just helpful thought patterns to try and replace that little part of the brain that still thinks that that's where your value is mm. um so moving on so we've done bulking we've covered toning we've covered did we yeah. do spot training your favorite yeah spot training spot training <laughs> yeah back on track <laughs> Uh, yeah, spot training is where you are doing an exercise to specifically target a certain area of body fat specifically generally normally that's abs and wanting to lose belly fat so people do 100 crunches a day to target belly fat doesn't work i think we might have touched on it but yeah spot training doesn't work doesn't matter how many sit-ups or crunches you do you can't decide where you lose that body fat from so if you see these uh tiktok trends or pinterest images of how to get six pack in three weeks and they're doing fucking star jumps and crunches just ignore it because it's a complete lie well it comes back to what you were saying about building if you build muscles if you do a program where and there are these available on instagram um i've seen advertised uh, where it's like promises of like six pack abs six pack shred la 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 in four, get a six pack in four weeks you will improve your core strength through these exercises you will possibly see a change in the look of your abs if you have the uh, muscle you know, below yeah muscle below there but it's not going to change the amount of body fat that you've got over the top of that unless you change your nutrition at the same time yeah. so and and again it that will differ from one person to another depending on 
you know, if we're talking about abs, the length of your torso, your natural um, shape of your muscles, um, some people can quite easily um, show some abs and some condition around the midline, whereas some people can be really, really strong um, and have a really strong core and you won't see a you know, yeah, not an, ab, not an ablet inside. Yeah, not an ab, not an ab inside. <laughs> so, you know, again, it's just like, don't, well, I think coming back to like the comparison of like, I'm not you and you're not Tracy and Tracy's not Karen. And, <laughs> we brought Tracy and Karen back into it again. Generic names. <laughs> so, you know, it's just kind of refocusing on like making the the best of what you've got and just accepting that well, this is my body this is my body shape I'm going to be do, doing my best to be healthy and make sure I'm putting the right stuff in um in the right balance and getting my movement in and focusing on enjoying other things and stop focusing so much on these little bits of me that I'm never going to be able to change anyway yeah yeah and I think an important thing to note as well is there seems to be this divide at the moment where it's like you there's almost shame around wanting to lose body fat and it's kind of swung the other way too far as well. It's kind of like the whole yeah. diet culture versus anti-diet and I'll yeah. do a podcast on that sometime. But uh-huh. um, you can want to lose body fat and improve your health and still love your body through those changes. And I think a lot of people think they have to hate themselves into change and it's got to be an absolute pummeling and hammer themselves like you know smashing the gym smashing it and I won't be happy until I hit this look or this weight or whatever and taking from the body positivity movement like that which is a great movement of loving and accepting where you are you can also love and accept your changes and knowing that the work you're doing is benefiting your health does that make sense like you don't need to sit here and hate ourselves until we reach a certain look or a certain point but we also don't need to settle and say, I don't need to change at all for my health because I love who I am exactly as I am. You can love exactly who you are and still want to better your health, whatever that looks like yeah. for that person. Yeah, and I think it's the pendulum, isn't it, of going from one extreme to another and there's got to be a little bit of a swing to through those extremes to come back into a middle point. Um, mm. And I think ultimately everybody needs to do what's best for them and I, I would say to a lot of clients like your set point where you're actually happy and living life and not thinking about it all is probably different to where you thought it would be that's you know? so true that is exactly true I think most people thrive at a slightly heavier weight than they what what they think that they want to be so yeah. quite a lot of people will want to diet down and lean down to a certain size, but actually where they're the most happy and where they are thriving and they've got their periods and they've got their energy and libido and they're socialising and strong and recovering is probably a little bigger than what they think that they need to get to. Yeah, yeah. And that's a, another sort of thing to work on accepting, isn't it? Um, but yeah, they, I think, like you say, it's... There's a, there's a lot of movement and a lot of noise, um, especially when you're on social media. It's all extremes, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Like yeah. Just, it, everybody who's got anything to say is saying it in a really extreme way. 
because that's what gets attention exactly Uh, yeah yeah it's like that's why there's so many crazy weird mad diets out there because it sells books and it's like well that's wild it must work and it's it's this gray area that works it's this boring mundane consistency that works it's you mean you're not eating bull's testicles (laughs) i don't even know i've heard of the bull's testicle diet but absolutely not (laughs) can't say that's a bit me I mean, I've done my fair share of weird shit to lose weight back in the past. We all have been there. And I think hindsight is a good thing. You know, like you said, the pendulum swings too far one way and you find your way back. And we've both probably swung way too far one way and we've managed to swing back into this middle ground. And now it's trying to prevent as many people as we can from having to learn this in hindsight. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, I think most people have done exactly the same sort of patterns of behaviour, but, you know, yeah. are, are continuing to, are, well, not breaking that chain, basically. Um, so, yeah. Cool. I think we've covered all those questions. And more. Yeah, and if anybody wants any further, we we didn't want to be, like, too sciencey about it, especially um, with the estrogen, estradiol, E2, like, going into numbers and really specifics with, especially around um, the menopause stuff, because it is, like, there's a lot mm. um, on that and, and making it too complicated for people to understand. Um, and we are doing some specific podcasts on those topics anyway, Um so yeah, if you want any further or any more in-depth info on that, please feel free to contact either Lauren or myself. Um, and we'll be happy to elaborate. Yeah, definitely. So we've covered sure. the topics, but we will go into depth on on a menopause thing. We will go into more depth about lots of things. So, but yeah, I think we've done. Uh, tick the tick the question boxes for the day. Yeah, those those we've ticked all those boxes. I just want to also say um, to everybody that's given us feedback so far, it's been so lovely. Yeah, it's been it's so been good. And thank you so much for listening, everybody, and tell all your friends about us. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> like it's every time someone messages and says, "Oh, listen to this," or "I loved when you guys said this," and I'm like, "Ooh, I do get a little buzz." Like it's amazing. Like we could be putting this out there to you know three people, but that's what I was yeah. I was like I don't know what to expect from doing this and we've got over 160 different unique um viewers so that's actually really good so yeah, thanks my guys me today and she was like I binge listened to it all already and it's just like being part of a lovely conversation and I was oh. like yes that's yes. exactly what we wanted so we did yeah and we really really want you guys to message in with questions and stuff like you we probably know everybody that's listening so get involved messages and you know have your input because we love you. We're a little girl gang. We love you. Big girl you. gang, actually. Mm-hmm. Big girl gang. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Right, right, honey bunny. Right, guys, we will speak to you soon. Au revoir. Au revoir, bye. Look at my naked tree. We put our tree up and then realised... Oh, cool. Um, not, not us, we're not together. Yeah, we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Becky, we put a tree up and then realised we've lost all of our baubles and lights and everything since we moved. So we just have this... Oh, okay, I was just like, how do you lose baubles? <laughs> well, that's a great question. We don't know where it's gone. I'm like, how do we have the tree but none of the decorations? So, I don't know. That's okay. Uh, so, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, anyways, I'm actually quite surprised because I feel like it looks brighter in Scotland compared to where you guys are. It's really foggy. It's horrible. Really, really badly foggy, horrible weather today. It's dank. Do you use that word, dank? Uh, No.
but must well, be a Yorkshire Scotland, thing. In Scotland people say, yeah, in Scotland people say, do we, I'm, I'm not Scottish, I have She's a Scottish German. accent, but I'm German. Yeah. <laughs> you never know, though. No. <laughs> slight, slight twist in the story there. Um, but yeah, here people will say it's Dreek. Dreek? Right. How long have you been in Scotland, then? Are you in Scotland? Do you live, you live in Scotland? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Um, uh-huh. What is it, 2022? 10 years? I can't right. remember how thick you're So how come you is? don't have any any German accent? Oh. I have, to be fair, I have lived in the UK since I was 19. Right, okay. So I, I lived in England before. I went to Kiel Uni and uh, I was there for four years and then I moved up to Scotland. Right. If you would hear my husband, you would understand why I needed to learn Scottish because I can't right. understand. Oh, right, proper Scotsman. <laughs> I was just like, you look good, but... <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> I don't know what's coming out of this. Ah, <laughs> yeah. oh, cute. <laughs> right, let's jump on in, shall we? Let's dive in. So, uh, unless if you want to start with like... Well, we've already talked a little bit about where you're from, but your whole story why you're on the podcast, how I know you, and yeah, just you go for it, mate. Yeah, cool. Um, so I think I know you, Lauren, because we met at the last Level Up event, right? I don't actually know, yeah. were you there in March as well? Uh, yeah, I First was there one, in March, yeah. but we met at I the don't last think we, one. Yeah, but I don't think we really chatted then, yeah. Um, so yeah, so because I gave a talk basically on fertility awareness, and the reason um, I'm kind of interested in this topic is basically just based off of my own... Um, just off my own experience with it. So me and my husband, we started trying to conceive um, in 2020. So every time I think about this, I have to put it, just because of the pandemic, everything is just... Lost. It's a big blur. Like, what, like yeah. what's happened? I don't... No concept of time. But I think it was in 2020. <clears throat> and um, yeah, and after a while, like it just wasn't going the way, you know, we thought it was going to go. I think we're very much in this mindset, or specifically me, in this mindset of like, I mean, truly, you only have sex once unprotected and then you're pregnant because that's what we have been told. <laughs> yeah, you will forever. get pregnant and die. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. And you will get every disease under the planet. <laughs> but, um, um, but yeah, so I was very much in the mindset. And to be fair, like, I did have a couple of friends that were kind of a little bit like, yeah, I mean, you know, it took us a little bit, like a couple of months or a few months or something like that. So I was aware of it in that respect, but deep down, I was just like, no way. I'm young. I'm fit. I'm going to get pregnant. Look how fertile I am. (laughs) Um, And yeah, well, what, like eight months later, turns out, no, it didn't happen. Um, We did actually get a positive test, but it ended like in a really early miscarriage, basically. Which again, I was just like, what the hell is that? Like, what what's happening here? You know, it was just very confused. And I think that was also the, that was like the, what was it? Like the second or third lockdown we were in. We'd just come out of like kind of Christmas and it was just like a really just a terrible time. And just January was a bit crap, to be quite honest. And I was just, I, that was kind of like my low, like I laugh about it because that's how I kind of cope with, <laughs> um, just with things happening in my life, I suppose. But at the time that was really where I was at my lowest point um, when I, like with kind of the whole like trying to conceive journey and everything and I was just so confused at what's going on and I was sitting there and I would watch like hours of like YouTube videos of like lectures that were aimed at like medical students to explain to them like female reproduction and stuff like that just for like any kind of hint of like what we could do and obviously there wasn't anything because you know I can't really go inside and like change things up or you know it's the same obviously with with my husband like that you know you just unfortunately a lot of it is just down to chance and 
just the way you know your eggs or your sperm are developed and just things take longer and now I know this with hindsight um but yeah but I think that's kind of originally how we kind of got into this process and because I've learned so much on that journey which I thought like if I would have known that from the start like to just expect that maybe things might take a little bit longer or yeah I think I think I would have never even gotten to the point where things were so dire at that stage so I think I really felt like oh if I can kind of create a bit more awareness around that then that would be really helpful hopefully to other people as well um our then our journey kind of took a little bit of a turn because my husband also has a hereditary condition, which has nothing to do with his fertility or anything. But because I was consuming so much information and content around fertility, I found out that there is a way by going through the IVF process where you can genetically test the embryos that you create and uh, you can test them for the hereditary condition. And by that, we basically discarding those and kind of only using the embryos that are that don't have the condition. And that would mean basically that we are so it's a dominant uh, condition. So like there's always a 50 50 chance of, of like of each child or of each embryo having it. So quite high. And um, yeah, and that way, if we if we were to go through this process, we would have an opportunity to basically just stop that condition from ever being passed on ever again in in our in anybody that comes afterwards, basically. And um, yeah, learned about this process. Obviously, at the time, didn't really have that much idea of what IVF was like or what what was really involved in it. Um, but also because we learned of the process, there wasn't really then a way where we were like, nah, let's just not do that. Like it was kind of just like, well, we kind of have to at least kind of try or find out a wee bit more about it, or at least that's what we felt. Um, yeah, and then we, that was last year, May that we started that or like acquired about it. And then now fast forwarding to the end of September this year, going into October, that's when we actually um, did the kind of IVF, the injections stimulating the ovaries collecting the eggs and we're kind of like still like now we're in the middle of like we've done the egg collection we've done the genetic testing and now we're thinking about transferring at some point so it's been so i'm just going to stop there because i feel like they, i could talk like for the next two hours yeah, just about no. what happened the last year <laughs> what a story so it's been 18 months from when you first started thinking about ivf to actually beginning ivf yeah, and that's pretty standard, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. it's a long process, isn't it? Yeah, that's long. Yeah. I mean, the first and, thing... yeah, unless you go private, that's maybe then it would probably be a little bit quicker. But, um, yeah, and, much... I mean, there's various scenarios. It can be quite individual. Like, for some people, it might be even longer than that because in the meantime, there might be other things that are coming out. You know, you might suddenly have find out that you've got a fibroid or something in your in your womb or your ovaries or whatever whatever then that still needs to be removed and to be honest for a long for a lot of people probably for a lot of people the whole journey will probably be even longer because especially if we're talking about couples who so we we did start the kind of like infertility testing at the same time as well just because we were then kind of like going up to a year of trying and that's kind of the point where you can go and like seek help from your GP so we we were doing this at the same time as well but then once we done like kind of the basic testing the gynecologist was just like well if you are doing IVF for genetic reasons anyway you might as well just jump ahead and do that like usually other things would be happening other testing would be happening and um in in between and you would kind of try a few other things first okay. so in that sense I suppose we saved a little bit of time but still yeah yeah 18 months a lot of time. 
Yeah, I had no concept of how long. I don't really know anything about it. And I think one of the big reasons I wanted to get you on the podcast was because it isn't talked about and there isn't information mm-hmm. there. And I know I've got clients that can't get pregnant and it feels like something they don't want to talk about. Obviously, you know, that's fine. And I've got clients yeah. that do want to get pregnant next year. Again, that's not really discussed too much. And like you yeah. said, you're looking at YouTube videos for lectures on it because there's no information. So, yeah. and, and you know, I, I'm not planning on having babies or anything but it'd be super helpful for me and everybody to just know a little bit more about the process how it works you know we've got a whole bunch of questions to go through so yeah yeah I just it's kind of shocking at how little information there is and that what you have to come up against and then how long you have to wait as well even though you do it quite quick I mean now now in hindsight like talking a lot of it obviously now in hindsight like I also get in a way why they may be I think it's maybe hard to really sum up like all the things that you might need to know like there are maybe like some basics I think just about managing expectations but then I think there's also the other side of it which I think had a lot to do with why I also felt so low because I just got overly obsessed with trying to find something which again is really common that happens that you really you would just do anything just out of desperation because you just I always think like I don't know if um, and I'm not trying to like generalize it just like as a like I think sometimes this image of a woman is that yeah we all want children but obviously not everybody wants that which is absolutely fine but for me personally like wanting children or seeing myself as a mom has always been something that I had in the back of my mind and I think then I think and I don't know if maybe that's because of that but that's why like it's just this desperation it's really hard to explain but you, but you would literally do anything and especially considering that I'm a nutrition coach like I actually obviously so I had to lose weight then also to be eligible for IVF yeah. and even I got to the point where I was just like I might just try a 1200 calorie diet because <laughs> maybe it'll just maybe it'll just work yeah like, just that's anything just, at it <clears throat> it's just the rational part and the kind of emotional part of your brain I just yeah just it's just mental just the way you go through it <laughs> i think sometimes as well like if you're around that age where like a lot of your friends are also in the same position like one mm. you know people start having children you see you see that sort of cycle of like people get married all around the same age yeah. and then all of a sudden one after the other it's like and so i think there's this um myth that it's like well this is what happens and then you just try for a baby and then immediately it happens Mm -hmm. within a couple of months and like say as teenagers you're kind of like taught aren't you don't Mm -hmm. don't have sex you'll Mm -hmm. definitely get pregnant (laughs) immediately Um, and then you start trying for a baby and you're like after if it doesn't happen the first couple of months you immediately go oh my god what have I done I'm infertile like you start panicking about it and it's like you say when you decide that that's what you want it's like so consuming Mm -hmm. of like you want it so bad that you will literally do anything and try and find out every little thing about you know how to make it happen and start absolutely catastrophizing about (laughs) why Mm -hmm. it's not happening straight away yeah well I think also in our day and age the way we you know so I, I'm still somebody that grew up without the internet and whatnot as a child but obviously then it kind of changed and we're so used to just instant gratification like when do you really have to wait for things anymore mm-hmm. yeah like just not really you know what I mean and I think as coaches we all know how we're having to kind of teach our clients that and encourage that in our clients you know to to be more patient you know when it comes to maybe like you know nutrition. growing muscle or losing weight <laughs> yeah, or nutrition yeah, yeah. or all these kind of things did you and hear that exactly guys patience <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're having to teach people again and it's kind of similar in a way it's similar I suppose we're trying to conceive even though I think the the reward is still there a lot more because at least you will see something you know you mm-hmm. will see your lifts going up you will you will eventually see the scale going down or the measurements going down or, or up whatever you prefer to do but um 
yeah with trying to conceive it is absolutely nothing that tells you if you're doing something right or wrong it's just so, just ha- random tests that you do <laughs> how long so I, if someone told me it took them six months to get pregnant I would not know if that's long or short if they said six weeks I wouldn't know if that's long or short and so how long would be would you keep trying for before you think okay maybe we should get tested and see if mm-hmm. there's something going on here that's not just you know bad luck so I think like if you if you Unless there's already any kind of signs that, you know, where you think like, oh, my periods are quite irregular, you know, you know that maybe you you have some PCOS symptoms or um, you kind of, you, you've maybe been in discussion with your doctor about things related to, to, to gynecolo- gynecological things or something like that, then I think the, the standard phrase is that you have to try for a year before you can be seen by a doctor. And a year sounds really long. But then on the other hand, if you t- if you think about it in terms of actual fertile days or, you know, of fertile windows that in, in terms of a woman's cycle, that's only yeah. 12 times, which isn't actually that long or not that much or not that much to try for something so, like, incredible to work, you know, mm-hmm. for some, yeah. And I think if you also think about all the things that actually have to go right, so that's where it's kind of like it's it's useful to actually understand the kind of, the biology behind it because it makes you so aware how incredibly insane it is that we actually even alive on this planet mm. because of all the things that have to kind of fall into place for it to work um so yeah i think again now with hindsight you know 12 12 months doesn't seem too long but obviously if when you're stuck in the process and you're trying to figure it out and you're like just stressed by life in general then you're stressed because you're trying to figure out how to even identify your fertile days you might be testing for ovulation you're trying to figure out how to like sneak in the test into your work and so you can pee on them or you know and then you're running home and phoning your partner and going you know we need to we need to do it tonight and then both just really tired like a drill sergeant yeah it's just all these things I think just accumulate so much and I think just over time yeah then I think and in that respect like 12 months can just feel absolutely torturous I guess the doctor wouldn't know if you'd been trying for 12 you could say oh you've been trying for a year and actually it's only six months they wouldn't know I mean yeah the, the reality is though that it probably for for the majority of couples and yeah and in terms of like research and in terms of like time to pregnancy research now the research there isn't like loads on it to be fair and some of the studies are quite old and it's kind of just retrospectively that they look at you know how long it's taken for people but I think in general it is actually I think it's something like 80 to 90 percent of uh, couples will conceive within a year which is actually a lot like Mm. you know so in that in that respect you know kind of managing the expectation um, yeah, it's, it's really important to kind of to say like actually maybe trying for a year is pretty normal and that's okay. It's just on the other side, we also know how under-researched um, like female gynecological issues are, like, you know, any kind of women's health issues. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, also a lot of men's like... Um, like fertility related research isn't isn't that established I suppose it's more and more there's more and more interest coming out of it now now that we're seeing how like sperm count has halved like since the yeah. 70s like average sperm count and stuff Crazy. like that what? Uh-huh. yeah Why? Um, so now now the focus is back on that but I don't think you know how like how women tend to go for checkups you know maybe once a year or whatever or at least we have smear tests all these kind of things like that doesn't even exist for for men or not, at least not as far as I know um mm. So just stuff like that. So I think um, 
with that in mind as well, I also think that maybe waiting a year is ridiculous because you don't know what's going on. You know, you might be able to just use that time a lot more wisely mm. <laughs> um, than waiting a year and then, you know, seeing your doctor and kind of finding out all sorts of other things. So just in terms of if we're thinking about like how even though like your fertility doesn't just like drop off a cliff when as a woman and when you turn 35 but there is a real like there is a significant decline of fertility over over the years and somebody that tries to conceive before the age of like in their 20s or before the age of like 35 38 statistically speaking is 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 probably going to be less time to pregnancy compared to somebody who tries to conceive like after the age of 38 going on to 40 etc it's just like that is a fact like we know that so I think so time does play a role so in a way like 12 months isn't long to try but on the other hand if there was something going on you know you'd kind of think like well we could probably just to start sooner (laughs) to look into it basically yeah and I, I think women are having babies a little later on and say they start trying at like 32 and then by 34 yeah. they're still not pregnant then they find out all this yeah. stuff then they've got to wait 18 months they could be 37 yeah. 38 etc before yeah. they're even conceiving when they went into yeah. this thinking oh it should be a couple of months so I guess that's why it's super important to get a bit of a reality check on how long it could take yeah yeah well I think that's why I think now I think now they're kind of catching on to the things that you know I think is is it in America maybe where some companies or some or I think maybe here as well who are kind of trying to encourage women to like freeze their eggs for example Mm -hmm. if they are younger and I think they're kind of looking into schemes where people can be financially supported because I think at the moment that's you know it's not obviously not on the NHS or so that you get it and it can be quite expensive to do that but just to kind of preserve like younger eggs basically to to have more options then because because, like you said, you know, we know that um, um, that like trying to conceive or like like growing your family is something that people tend to do later in life because you know you want to have a career, like oh, you know, you maybe just you know want to feel financially more stable or for lots of reasons. I mean, trying to even find somebody that you really want to have kids with, yeah. it's hard enough. <laughs> Tinder, Tinder generation, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Could you imagine writing that in your bio? Cox ticking on, let's go. So, <laughs> so talking about um, you know a- age as a factor of something that affects fertility what other things are sort of you know predominantly affect fertility for both men men and women it's actually pretty similar and I think it's it's also a little bit boring because it's just in the sense that just having or leading like a kind of an overall like kind of healthy life like a balanced diet like um, trying to like reduce your saturated fats um, like just exercising regularly all these kind of things have basically like a cumulative effect so there is nothing that you can either do or avoid well except for like obviously things like drug use you know reducing alcohol like smoking uh, quitting smoking is, is really important as well um but also on the other hand you know people do still get pregnant you know people do fall mm. pregnant mm. whether they might be heavy drug users you know all these kind of things so it's not completely impossible um and also if we're thinking about like stress and like i mean people have have been pregnant and have born children during war times during famines you know what i mean it's not like like otherwise like humanity would just not yeah. exist if you know if, if it wouldn't happen but i suppose if we're talking about trying to create like the best environment or um to yeah to just kind of create the best chances of conception then yeah it's about kind of just making sure like i said 
minimizing alcohol or at least kind of just no binge drinking you can still have alcohol but no binge drinking no smoking and especially when it comes further down the line to assisted conception you're not allowed to smoke like you won't get any kind of funded treatment if you are smoking that is something that they're testing for um trying to like depending on where and I know that when I say BMI, this is, I'm not talking so much about BMI, but I suppose also just the the behaviours that tend to be related to having a high BMI is often the kind of things that we want to look at kind of changing. Like I said, kind of exercising more, eating a more um, kind of balanced diet, like eating vegetables and fruit is probably one of the key things that you can do just because of the kind of nutrition that you get from vegetables and fruit and a lot of people just really don't eat enough of that and I would even kind of go beyond the five a day to try and kind of build up to just as much as possible but body weight can play a role as well and again it won't be in everybody and I think it's really important to say that factors need to be weighed up you know I mean if somebody's having a really hard time for example losing body fat then I'd probably think like focusing on other things like getting them to walk a little bit more or just to improve the nutrition will have significant, significant impact on all of this. And I think, you know, the kind of body weight can sometimes just be a lot a lot of couples or a lot of people might go to their doctor and the doctors will even just refuse to even see them before they have lost any kind of weight. And I don't think that that's quite right either because, you know, like I said, you know, age and time and all these things do matter as well. So I think it kind of needs to be tackled at the same time. But both for women and men, I suppose higher body fat levels could mean that, you know, there's higher estrogen levels and higher estrogen levels can impact on you know, just fertility in terms of the sperm development or the egg development or the kind of environment that the, the sperm and the egg live in and um, kind of higher leptin levels, the same thing as well. And they can impact testosterone levels as well. So it could be impacting on like the quality of the sperm and the egg um, by imbalancing kind of like hormones and stuff like that. But again... I think what's really important is just that there's there's probably lots of there's lots of things that somebody can do to kind of help themselves but I think it's also important not to get overwhelmed with and just try and do like absolutely everything at the same time because mm-hmm. that isn't really helping anybody either. Sounds that like sense. that's coming from experience. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like I said 1200 calorie diets I did yeah. try it as well but obviously it didn't work. No. Spoiler. No. <laughs> so one of the questions was um is it more the health of the woman or the man when it comes to conceiving or is it 50-50 and say you are trying to conceive and, and do these healthy diets and exercise, is it both couples need to be doing the work 50-50? Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. I think, again, like, and if, there, if there's any kind of, like, diagnosed conditions, then it might obviously be different because, you know, then, you know, the doctor or the fertility uh, consultant will be able to kind of um, help you with that. But when it comes to kind of like nutrition and lifestyle changes absolutely i think it should definitely be tackled from both sides the reality i think is that it's probably just a lot of women doing it and i'm not trying to diss men or anything like that with that but i think sometimes i think it can be quite hard for men to be included in the pro the process and obviously that it's their own responsibility to contribute to the process and to into kind of want to make changes as well but I think a lot of the advice a lot of the literature even when you go to the doctor the doctor mostly just addresses the woman in the in the in the meeting or in the in the appointment um so yeah so I think there's definitely something to be said about I think health professionals needing to speak to men and address them actually and say to them no you should also be doing x y and z I suppose to to help you especially because I think there's actually more evidence to show that lifestyle changes can make a significant impact to sperm quality um 
then then like, well, it also I think is, is is a lot easier to test I suppose because it's not as invasive having to get sperm <laughs> just by that yeah, by that completely. practice I suppose yeah so, so what um, is bringing down the sperm count I what is having just an effect general, on male sperm count yeah I think just in general I think from what I can tell I think it's just just lifestyle that has changed so much yeah. over the years in terms of like, you know, we're sitting with we a lot more sedentary, you know, just higher saturated fat levels, all these kind of things. Again, like, I don't think that this is necessarily like, these are like the only reasons, but I think there can be. There's also, there's quite a bit of research coming out about like environmental, like toxins and stuff like yeah. that. Um, that. That I think maybe not so much not so much as an individual, but it's, it's kind of quite popular in the in the infertility community to kind of swap all your perfume soaps to like non-perfume ones and um, making sure that you only use like glass instead of like plastic Tupperware, for example, yeah. these things. And again, like the cumulative of effect of like removing these kind of things out of your out of your environment in, in the hope that that might might help. But this, I think that research around it, as far as I understand, is like at cell level and it's quite mechanistic. Like it's not, you know, they don't have research where a group of humans ate plastic out of plastic yeah. containers mm. and they didn't fall pregnant. And then, you know, the other group ate from glass and they fell pregnant, you know, yeah. like this just doesn't exist. I think they just know that maybe, and I think it's all about like the, so when we're talking about sperm and DNA quality, uh, sperm and egg quality we're talking actually about the makeup of the dna inside it so that is how like intricate i suppose it is you know and we just don't really have that kind of level of of, of research you know where, we, where you can just manipulate that or anything like that and it's more about like in the development like the way the sperm and eggs develop in the fluid around it which provides kind of the kind of uh nurturing for the egg and for the sperm for example and it's about like what's in those fluid type things that can then impact the the building of the dna that's how i understand it obviously i'm not an embryologist but mm-hmm. <laughs> um so but i think what i'm just trying to say is like it's, it's, it's such a granular level where it then comes down to and like in the kind of methods for research and all these kind of things it's obviously quite yeah quite intricate what is what is needed and quite detailed so that being said if poor sperm is the reason this is another question for infertility what can a man do to improve the quality of their sperm yeah um so i think first of all to even understand whether there is poor so so for for sperm there's like different so like there's the quality side of things in terms of the dna but when you actually get your sperm tested they also look for like the morphology so for like the shape of the sperm Mm -hmm. and the motility so um, so like all the sperm will be like in a little petri dish and they can see how they move, you know, from kind of one end to the other, basically. And they look for that as well, the morph- morphology and the motility. And then also the amount of sperm that is actually in the ejaculate, because ejaculate can have zero sperm in it. It can yeah. just be liquid, for example, as well. So that, and for some people that, that, is, that is the case. Um, so in terms of then improving that, um, definitely like definitely important to obviously speak to your to your doctor and your fertility clinic because they might be able to kind of offer more tailored like supplementation or if you speak to like a specific like fertility dietitian for example like sometimes with supplementation if they can identify if there's any kind of nutritional gaps for example then they would be able to help with that but in general just like day to day it's definitely just lifestyle changes like I said in terms of reducing like saturated fat reducing kind of like really like charring your meat like kind of not eating so much of the kind of like black or like charring your toast these kind of things making sure that you like increase um 
increase uh, vegetables and fruit intake, um, good fats, like things like salmon, nuts, olive oil. And that's just in general, kind of like Mediterranean diet is what's kind of recommended yeah. for fertility for, for, for women and men. And I think that's really good because like if you're a couple together you can make those changes together and it will help you together it's not just like one person has to do this and the other person has to do that genuinely thinking about taking maybe like a preconception um multivitamin as well like just to kind of help with that but obviously the reality is like you do need to also improve your diet like the supplement alone won't won't help anything um but i think more tailored if there is specific like issues with the sperm then the the fertility clinic would be able to um to help kind of with more tailored supplementation in terms because yeah. they have to take your blood and actually check what your dosages are and can then help you with that because just willy-nilly taking supplements is a complete waste of money and might not actually help anything mm. yeah yeah so at the start you said you're i think are you like six weeks into your ivf treat treatment is that right uh, well kind of like a couple of, well so we so it was at the end of september that we started and then at the beginning of, of, of October, we had the egg retrieval. So you take injections for a while and then um, the eggs get retrieved from me and then we created embryos. Yeah, so how, what is the kind of um, the story, the lifespan? How, how does it work from like, yep, we're going to do IVF to like, we're doing IVF mm-hmm. to like, oh, hopefully yeah. we're pregnant. Like, what is that journey? Yeah. So again, I just need to caveat that it, it took a little bit longer for us just because of the whole genetic side as well. So we originally actually wanted to do private, but we thought, so there's an NHS waiting list, basically. And that, this, is the, this is the way, yeah, this is the way it is here in Scotland. In Scotland, we're actually really fortunate that we get three free IVF rounds, like completely a complete IVF run. So that's from the start to you create embryos and however many embryos you have, you can transfer them all. You can try to transfer them all. And if and failing that none of them take, you can then start a second round of IVF. So it's actually like you get quite a lot of like free IVF here. Whereas down in England, it depends on the individual um, clinical commissioning groups like the CCGs, like who who can just decide for themselves how much they can allocate funding they can allocate so in some places you might only get one round and other places there might be other criteria attached in terms of age again bmi some people say it needs to be a bmi of uh, under 30 some people say under 27 some people some clinics will have a 35 it just it really depends but anyway um so you need to fulfill all these kind of criteria to be able to actually go and get referred for IVF. And obviously before that, there might be a lot of testing involved as well to even establish what the what the reason is for why you are not trying to why for why you are not conceiving. And it might be something that, like I said, you it might be something like that the the ovarian tubes are blocked and you know might have to be removed eventually and then you have to be referred for IVF but it could also just be that everything looks absolutely fine there's absolutely nothing that would point to anything being wrong and then they call it unexplained infertility <laughs> which is just really just, really just unexplained <laughs> that's, that's um, the, the diagnosis yeah exactly um but yeah anyway so then once you get so usually then depending on what the diagnosis is you would probably first of all get referred for some either maybe some sort of like assisted like some other type of assisted conception so it could be taking medication so some some women might be taking clomid for example which will help them to 
ovulate regular more regularly for example this could be started or you could then be like the next level so to speak would probably be like IUI so that's when you the clinic monitors you all the way up until ovulation and then inseminates like it then puts the sperm into the womb and then the sperm still needs to try and find its way to the actual egg um this is also what you would like what gay couples for example would would go so they would do IUI to be able to try and fall pregnant um and then what if that hasn't ha- if that hasn't worked then you would usually be referred for IVF and IVF is the um is where you uh, start like the woman the female will um start like injections there's been various different protocols just depending on what the the fertility clinic or what the doctors think will work the best it is a bit of a lottery though like nobody can really tell you this is how exactly you're going to respond to the medication and it's all gonna go well so you know they're like usually the first the first cycle yeah like i said is a little bit of a lottery and they will just try you on a protocol what they think will work based on whatever they know about you um and then you just have to see how it goes but you basically inject yourself i had two injections i had to do one in the morning one in the evening and then after like kind of seven eight days or so you go for a scan and they check how you have responded basically to the injections and based on that they make kind of other decisions so i then only had one other scan two days later and i was already just like so done i just really wanted somebody to just like rip my ovaries out because it just was just so yeah in my case it was but i think i think i had like i think i was borderline overstimulated so that's like a thing that can happen like especially for people like so i i don't have pcos but I do because I'm still like young and my ovarian reserve was still quite high, I think. Um, I think that's why maybe, and, and I suppose the protocol did work quite well for me, I suppose. So that I think that's why I just responded quite well to the medication. But I think it can, especially with people who have like really high ovarian reserves who, for example, people with PCOS, they have a lot of follicles kind of around anyway. And if they, and they, they're usually kind of, uh, they have to be, the fertility clinic has to be really careful to not overstimulate them or it kind of happens like, you get mild mild OHSS it's called and I think I was kind of a little bit close to that to be quite honest I think that's why I was so uncomfortable um but yeah but for other people so for me it was in eventually it was like a two-week process but I was also on a short protocol whereas for other people it might be closer to like a four to six week process um and yeah and then they retrieve then they, I went into surgery, they retrieved my eggs. It's like really just a minor, like a small procedure. You only end the hospital for like a few hours or so. And then you, you're kind of done basically. And then you go home and then I just had to lie down for three days. Oh God. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's but so, yeah, uh, I know. It'll be worth <laughs> it, hopefully. So you've done, you yeah. do two weeks, uh, like a couple of injections. You go, they take your eggs, you lay down because it was painful. <laughs> And then they come back to you saying, like, it's a hit or it's not a hit, basically, at that point. So, so then, so once you, um, so once you, once they retrieve the eggs, again, it depends on the fertility clinic, what their, what their kind of like protocol is. Um, so the fertility clinics, they are attached to the lab where all the embryos and all the, the, the eggs are then kept. So yeah, you literally like you go into theatre and I think it's the same kind of everywhere. And there's like a little hatch in the wall and then the embryologist and you see like all the incubators in the back. Um, like it's the just the embryologist. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, and they just, because I think they literally retrieve them and then they just pass them through to the hatch, basically to the embryologist, and they kind of take it from there. And they basically just monitor them. They put them in a, the eggs in an incubator and they check for what is called whether they are mature. Now, I don't know what exactly that looks like because that's like, that kind of, like I said, goes like into embryology. But they want to know that the eggs are mature. And then in our case, we did something, what is called ICSI. So technically speaking, IV, IVF is like a particular way of where you put eggs in a Petri dish and you add the sperm to that and then you and then you wait until the sperm and the egg meet themselves in the Petri dish and then you take out who, whichever ones were fertilised and that's your embryos. We did ICSI, which is intracytoplasmic sperm injection, which is actually how IVF is always de- like depicted like if you see if you google IVF and you see a picture of it you see how there's like an like kind of like a pipette or like an injection yeah. thing going yeah. into the egg but that's actually not IVF <laughs> that's actually ICSI so that's when they take an egg and they they select specific sperm from the ejaculate and they actually inject it into the egg and force the fertilization basically um so yeah so that's what we did in our case which sometimes they do that because, for example, if there is male factor infertility, so if there isn't enough sperm or they're not quite sure of their quality or they can see that, you know, maybe a lot of the sperm might be like not quite moving as they want them to be, then they can be quite picky and select the sperm that look the best, basically, in the hope that they fertilize better. Um, In our case, the reason we had to do the injection is because the genetic, if you just leave it up to themselves, I think they can be just mixing the egg and the ejaculate all together can can leave like residues on the eggs and if they want to do the genetic testing that can interfere with that so basically that's why uh, they injected them um yeah so then you get a phone call to tell you no so right after the surgery they tell you how many eggs they have collected then the next day you will get a phone call how many have fertilized so that happens overnight and then sometimes people will get like a two days later sort of day three update to tell them okay this is how you're embryos are growing some people might then get a phone call to say we want to we want to transfer a day three embryo um most people probably have to wait until day five after egg collection because that's usually kind of the window where um yeah you want to see the embryo develop to and then you get a phone call and you can transfer the embryo if you have a fresh transfer that's what it's called a fresh transfer um in our case we had a what's called a freeze all and again, this will happen to a lot of people who um, maybe have been overstimulated as well, because then actually attempting pregnancy, but with a transfer can be more detrimental, I suppose. So sometimes they will just tell people that, you know, you need to freeze all your embryos. But in our case, again, because we did the genetic testing, that was the only option anyway. So we just got a phone call on day five to tell us how many embryos we had and then how many would get sent away for genetic testing. But for anybody who has genetic testing, yeah, then it would probably take like, a, it can take quite, a, well, in our case, it was like three weeks. Um, For some people, it can take even longer. It can t- sometimes take four to six weeks before you have the results back. It really depends Um, if you are not doing any kind of genetic testing. But in any case, you will have to wait until you then have a withdrawal bleed. <laughs> um, so it's not a period, but it's just because... Of, of all the stimulation you got so many hormones obviously for two weeks and then you get the final trigger injection as well and all of that just comes crashing down basically so that's why your body thinks you know hormones are low so we just shed everything like we shed the lining basically of the womb so you have your withdrawal bleed and then usually you have to wait until you have another period before you can then phone in um to book like a transfer 
basically, if you haven't had a first transfer. And if you don't have regular periods, which a lot of women who are struggling to get pregnant probably don't, they could be waiting two, three, four months if they don't have another bleed. Yeah, so t- the thing is, like, IVF, the stimulation can mess up your period anyway. So I'm somebody that has regular periods. However, like, my period just now from after egg collection or after the withdrawal bleed, I think I've waited, like, 45 days, and I'm usually, like, a 28-day mm-hmm. person. So, um, yeah, I think just in general, the kind of the, the injections can kind of just mess things up a little bit. Again, it might it might depend on the clinic as well. Like, there might be other clinics who are kind of – like technically you could just you wait for your withdrawal bleed and you could you could just start again you could just do something else and do like a medicated transfer but um but i think i think my clinic does it that way because that's how they manage the numbers because they only have so and so many spaces available each week that they can take in for for treatment basically so i think that's yeah so i think it sometimes it probably just comes down to clinic management as well and that's why they just say for some people they do say oh no we'd quite like to just have like see your body just have one period just to kind of make sure that things are kind of going the way they should mm. um but yeah. so you have yeah, your but... you have another bleed and then you can go back to the clinic and then they can insert the embryo is that right yeah so so the so the the, the actual transfer for most people is medicated again so that's another like eight week process before you actually <laughs> before you like, actually transfer anything yeah this is a lot <laughs> longer and like mentally yeah. probably just exhausting yeah well to be fair I, I was actually like in a way like I really appreciated like the last 40 days I think just that I've had like a break from just the way like for me the way the, the injections and all the stimulation stuff went for me because I just I was just so over hormones afterwards where I was just a bit like oh god yeah. so I was kind of quite glad that that was over um there they are so at the moment you can it's becoming a bit more popular to do something like what they call like natural IVF like a natural IVF transfer where maybe you um just test for your own like up to your own ovulation day and then they will transfer the embryo and then you just get like a little bit of progesterone support support so like progesterone like the hormone in the luteal phase after ovulation is, is key is a key pregnancy hormone um, and they might just give you that and that's because progesterone might be something that usually a lot of women might struggle with it can be a cause for why people might have early miscarriages um and yeah so they might do that but then in our case because so we had so we had nine embryos that all were sent for genetic testing and nine is like incredible like like we were so so happy but then from the genetic testing we only had one embryo out of the nine that actually made it basically like that wasn't infected uh, with it so great because that's exactly why we did this process so in that way it has worked but obviously just one is like well it's like mm, yeah. it's, it's not great but know. and also just puts a lot of pressure on this one yeah. embryo basically yeah. um so then the so we for example then spoke to the doctor and he was just like you might as well just try and throw everything at it you know, in terms of doing a full proper medicated cycle, because then at least if it doesn't work, you know, it's still, you know, whatever, like was up with the embryo or the body just didn't want it. And it had nothing to do that. You didn't have enough hormones that the lining of the room wasn't thick enough, like all these things. So these are all the kind of things that they can control because you basically, for a medicated frozen embryo transfer, you get an injection, which is called Prostat, which puts you in a medical menopause for like a few weeks. And then you basically get HRT. So you basically get hormone replacement th- therapy to build up to to recreate like that um, the second part of your of your cycle. So the 
the luteal phase basically so you get estrogen tablets um, to build up the lining of the room and then like a couple of weeks later you will start like if the lining of the room is like thick enough um, then you get uh, progesterone pessaries which are like suppositories which is really great yeah. <laughs> and um and you have to take those for a while and then you have your transfer then usually like a, like a week later again it's like you say now you're going through all of this and you're going how does anybody ever just get pregnant now? like, yeah. like with like, all Jesus. of this all of this stuff has to be like the perfect right. storm yeah 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 yeah, yeah. No, well, that's, that's the thing. And, like with the medicated, yeah. with the medicated cycle, at least everything is monitored. So if something wasn't going the way they wanted to, you know, they could cancel it, and then you're not wasting, you know, the embryos that you fought so hard to create yeah. in the first place, for example. So in a way, like it's so frustrating how long everything takes. But on the other hand, obviously, also really appreciate how yeah. you know that we have this medicine that you know that we have all of this to be able to to, mm, to do yeah. that basically it is incredible it is amazing yeah so where are you at with your journey now uh, so we have just booked in for the transfer so as in like like i said it's, it's gonna it's a long process so it won't happen until like the new year probably like january february time or something like that but i will get the kind of medical menopause injection uh like mid-December because obviously because we've got Christmas closures and stuff like that as well but again like you know it's really good because because like the prostat like the injection that you get can last a long while or they might just give you a higher dosage or they just give you a little bit more HRT later on so they they can yeah they can kind of just maneuver the process the way the way they want it to go which is quite handy in that sense um but but yeah it's also i just want to say like because I'm, I'm mentioning so many like different kind of injections and all these things like don't google the injections because all of them <laughs> mostly are also like cancer treatments what <laughs> a lot of them yeah like kind of estrogen related cancers and stuff like that also okay. like prostap you also get like if you want to like try and decrease like a fibroid in your womb or yeah like so you know you I just said don't google them now that everyone's gonna, just gonna google, google. Yeah. <laughs> well but at least they know what to expect yeah, now because yeah, i googled exactly. it just yeah. trying to figure out what i was actually injecting myself with and i was just like whoa why does it say cancer everywhere yeah my mind my brain is just like <laughs> it is yeah. so much and like yeah. going through menopause yeah. and then now menopause and then it's yeah. it's a lot and a lot of injections it's i mean but yeah. they know what they're doing don't yeah. they yeah it's your yeah no hands. that's the thing it is fascinating and like in a way it's it's still it's only like half the process like if you think about it like i said it's still it still just comes down to that little sperm and the little egg you know mm-hmm. like basically just wanting to to yeah wanting to fertilize and then also for the body to say yeah like that that's cool i'll i'll take you in yeah. basically come on guys for the come next on nine months. yeah like it's so, just so much so talking about re- regular if people are trying to conceive and mm-hmm. there are no issues and they don't need to have IVF yeah what is like the best scenario what can people do to help the mm-hmm. actual business of the sperm yeah. and the egg <laughs> clapping well, together I think, yeah i think especially if we're thinking about the like fireworks. people are kind of wanting to wanting to try to conceive like let's just say in 2023 like now is probably like a really good time to kind of just spend a bit of time to prepare like just things like taking folic acid is really important like that's just recommended by the nhs for example and it's not just because 
you know you should take folic acid but folic acid actually helps like the development of the neural tube of the embryo mm-hmm. which is really important and again can kind of like help with preventing miscarriage and all these kind of things so it's about preparation and but I think also then just like just getting your head in the right headspace I suppose and just managing those expectations of that it probably will take a little bit of time like if you're somebody that isn't currently tracking your cycle and you don't know what even your fertile days are or you might not even be aware that there's only like a really small window where you can even conceive um in the month like for for a woman that's only really like a 24-hour window whereas if we've taken the man into consideration because sperm can survive for up to five days um sperm can you can have basically you can have sex before you ovulate and the sperm in an ideal scenario are there kind of waiting just for the egg to kind of jump across into the tube basically and 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 meet the sperm um so yeah so 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 that only really gives you like a fertile window of about six days but that's like the ideal scenario basically and that usually happens for somebody with regular cycles around the middle of their cycle so that if we're talking about like textbook 28 day cycle we would expect ovulation to occur any day on like day 14 or 15 something around that so if you have regular periods and and you want to you want to try then you know that would be the time and it's about having kind of like sex every two to three days so too much isn't good because you, you're not really giving the man enough time or the sperm enough time to kind of like grow again and develop enough basically and um, but also too long isn't good either because then they're just sitting there and then they're just kind of chilling out it sounds yeah, so bad like they're not decaying but they're just like they're just like oh they're like, not you know, keen. They're, they're <laughs> casual sperm it's like nah i'm not really bothered this one just like, mm, I'll, I'll just stay here i don't know but um oh, cool. so yeah so that that so so every so it says every two to three days if you're not sure what your fertile window is and if you're like quite i would say a sexually active couple like if you don't mind just having like sex every two to three days fantastic wait until your period stops if and you just don't do mind well i just you know some people want that and that's fine and other people are like nah just you know yeah. don't come near Once me you're fine, <laughs> right, that'll do <laughs> give me a sperm and just get away yeah yeah but it's no but it's just like even just the thought of that that you have to have like maybe like it just naturally happens like that anyway then i think if that's just like your natural rhythm then just stay mm. stay with that and if you if you're happy for them to just do that for like the next or the first like three four five months or whatever that's probably the best thing that you can do because it doesn't actually change so much of what you're doing just now but i think if that's not what if that's not the case you know i mean you might be two people that are like super stressed like every day you're working till a ridiculous time at night and all these things so these things might not happen so often it's kind of more like a date night thing that Mm. you know you've actually take time for each other and then going from that to having to actually do it every two days can be quite stressful I yeah. think for a lot of people and it's just like what am I doing here so yeah so so I think for those people who would rather identify their fertile days I think definitely tracking tracking your cycle is really important just even just to learn a little bit more about yourself I think is really good um and then but the app will need information so again it will probably take three four or five cycles before the app can really kind of give you an estimate and again it's just an estimate it doesn't mean that that's actually when your ovulation occurs Mm -hmm. um but you know it's just an estimate or what you can do is you can use like ovulation predictor kits so opks and these are like little test strips that you can basically pee on or you can dip in your pee and um, it will kind of it will detect like the 
uh, LH starts. So the luteinizing hormone uh, rises uh, just before ovulation and reaches a peak, which signals to the ovaries, hey, ovulation should occur. And then one, and you kind of, you're testing for that peak, basically. And then you'll know that within the next kind of 12 to um, 48 hours after that, your ovulation will occur so you'll know that you can basically have you can time your sex around that basically and they're pretty reliable for a lot of people yeah right but of not course always. for lots of yeah. people also no no okay. and also even just so in reality like opics are really useful but they're also a complete pain in the butt <laughs> because mm-hmm. just the fact like being able to test often enough if you have no clue when your ovulation is can be quite tricky so like I said, it might just be things. So I was quite lucky because we were in lockdown, like lucky and unlucky because I bet like every time I went to the toilet, I was testing, <laughs> which I suppose yeah. is useful because it then, you know, gives you more chances to actually see the kind of the lines getting darker and to actually get a positive or what is considered a positive ovulation test. But obviously that's not, you know, if you're not working from home and you're doing it in work or whatever, that can be quite tricky. Kind of just stab um, in the dark a little bit. Yeah. Um... But but they are useful. But the thing is, if you're somebody that has quite irregular periods, again, like finding your ovulation can be really, really tough. So it's just elongates that time where you constantly having to test and test and test. And it's not obviously, yeah, it's just not always realistic for people to be able to achieve that. And some people might have a slow rise of LH. So it rises slowly so you can almost, you know, follow it with a few tests over like a day or two, which is quite easy to see. As soon as it gets darker, you like, you'll know that your LH is surging basically and that's what it is. But for other people, it might be a really, really short window and you might just miss it. Like, you know, for months and months because you just don't know because there's no indication of when you when you can test. So that can be something. But other things to look out for as well is your, uh, your cervical mucus. <laughs> So yeah. this sounds um, delightful. Delicious. Please tell us more. I know. I'm so actually Alessia. I'm just gonna yeah. pause. Anch- so Anchor's only got sixty minutes. So oh no! I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm gonna. What I'm gonna do is. Cool. It has restarted. I'm also gonna go for a week because I'm bursting. <laughs> but you, you go ahead and talk about cervical mucus, please. Right. Yes. Yep. So you can crack on and tell us about the what, okay. what we should be looking for in our cervical mucus. Yeah, cervical mucus. So it's basically a discharge, basically mm-hmm. that you're looking out for, and it can. Well, for some for some people, they might have discharge, and you you'll be able to kind of notice from whatever shows up in your underpants, basically. But I think for some people, they might. Um, I know, sorry, this is getting really intricate now. But but for some people, it might not necessarily end up there, so you might have to go searching for it, basically. Right. So, you know, just like after the shower, clean hands, obviously, and just kind of basically go and have a look <laughs> for for it. And the, the texture that you're looking for is it will change from kind of a bit more being more sticky, I suppose, to kind of like kind of milky and sticky to kind of more clear and stretchy. Yeah. So what they mostly refer to is kind of like egg white, yeah. basically. So that's what you're looking for for egg white cervical mucus. Um, and that indicates like fertility, basically. Like, so these are your like your ovulation is near. And the reason it needs to be like that is because that, that kind of cervical mucus actually is helping the sperm pass through yeah. the cervix into the womb and then also up into the ovaries. So it is actually really important. So that's something to look out for. And the final thing to look out for is the position of your cervix. So if you're going to basically uh, find your cervical mucus, you can also notice the position of your cervix um, 
during your ovulation is really high up. So sometimes maybe just using your finger, you might not actually reach it, if that makes sense. Whereas like if it's closer to your period, um, it will be a lot lower. Right. I don't know if it's actually just because, you know, because the whole point of it, if it is to expel the lining of the womb, I suppose maybe that's why it's lower. So yeah. it's less, less to access or whatever. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so that these are kind of things to look out for as well. That, But again, you know, all these things, like I said, do take time. You know, you're only you know, you kind of have to monitor this over kind of like a few months or so to be able to really identify what's what's going on. But all these things can help you identify um, when, yeah, when your fertilities are. And if someone hasn't listened to this podcast, they wouldn't have any idea about most of this stuff anyway. They wouldn't know <laughs> to look out for certain things or not yeah. eat this or not smoke and yeah. not do that. And blah, blah, blah. So delve about which, in their cervixes. Yeah, yeah, yeah you've done all the be, research. Yeah. You, you've had to do all the research yourself and figure it all out. But yeah. now you can tell other people and it's kind of ticks a big box for yeah. them it takes saves them a lot of time of guessing and like yeah. not knowing what to do they can just kind of jump straight yeah. in with the yeah. answers i think the important thing is really to be is like i said just at the beginning is to just try and not get overwhelmed like i know it's so hard because like i said for myself like you want to just do absolutely everything but i think really the biggest takeaway i think is just you know now that you've listened to this and you you know you might have more of an idea of what things to do but try and not do absolutely everything at the same time basically and overwhelm yourself because you can just get stressed and bored with all of this really quickly and I think I've I've had a few friends who and from my own experience as well like we were saying at the beginning like you get you you decide that you want to try for a baby and then you think oh immediately it's gonna happen and then immediately when it doesn't happen then you start to panic is I've like it's happened to a number of, of people I've known who like they've maybe got really stressed out about it and then they kind of Mm. go oh well actually we're just going to chill out for a bit and then it happens when they're not thinking about it so much I've also had a friend who did go through IVF they went onto their I think they had five rounds and they were on their Mm. last round she did conceive she had quite a complicated pregnancy but then thinking they couldn't have any babies got Mm -hmm. pregnant naturally the second time without without any effort without any anything so I think you know everybody is completely different and everybody will have you know different stories and 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 you know yeah. tales like I have of, of other people I think just mainly you know to be reassured that sometimes yeah. it just does not happen immediately and it doesn't mean that there's anything Absolutely. necessarily wrong and there are lots of yeah. things and, lo- and lots of options available now as well absolutely and I think with these kind of like um with stories like that I think they can be really hopeful because you know especially for people who you know are going through it for a long time like just knowing that other people have gone through it as well or you know can be really comforting but what I just want to say is that like stress in itself doesn't have an impact like doesn't have a direct impact I suppose on it just because I think sometimes there's this thing in in the infertility community where people just get so angry because people keep just telling them to just relax (laughs) which is just like the worst thing but but just in general but I think that stress can definitely have an indirect impact and I think maybe sometimes it's more to do with the couple or the relationship especially if it's been so strenuous on you and you maybe just didn't actually have as much sex as you maybe thought you were Mm -hmm. having but when you're actually feeling a bit more relaxed like it's just more naturally comes back you know and maybe yeah. that's why it suddenly happens more because there were just you know more more chances there for for something to happen or and, and like I said not to underestimate going back to the beginning not to underestimate time like sometimes it just takes time absolutely mm. I think also if you really tune into I do believe in like chemical you know the the whole like what pheromones you're giving off like hormonally mm-hmm. like where you yeah. your sex drive is higher naturally like yeah. all, we are meant to 
like yeah. reproduce so I think yeah. it's listening to that and when you when you yeah. are more relaxed and you're more intuitive and you're tuning into actually how you feel and your desire you yeah. know and that's probably well definitely does coincide with like when you're you would be you know you're more fertile yeah. window as well so yeah. I think it's yeah absolutely making it less yeah. of a like a stressful or negative experience of like oh we've got to we've got to do this. I remember like when, when my husband and I decided, well, he was like, right, we're having a baby now. And you don't know my husband, but he's one of the most organized people ever okay. to live. So he just thinks everything's just going to happen exactly as he wants it to. Um, yeah. So, and then he was like, I feel like a machine. <laughs> and I was like, Hum, I'm not forcing you to do anything. <laughs> You've decided I'm not this a sex robot. I got <laughs> feelings. Yeah. I was like, calm down, dear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you know what I mean? Like, you just put it's that sort of pressure of like, right, we've got this window. Let's yeah. go, go, go. Yeah. Like, exactly. Get your hips up. Get a yeah, cushion exactly. under there. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know. Like that. <laughs> like, I not, this is this oh, is not yeah. fun or natural. No. No. I know. I know. I think especially like I think I remember like being so engrossed in like all sorts of forums as well and websites and just everybody yeah. was just you know uh just they were i'm glad this didn't just, exist actually when i was trying i was just like well I'll just get my legs up again yeah. and <laughs> hope yeah, for the rest I know. <laughs> I know and you just read all this stuff beforehand and just yeah it just makes it just makes it all just like so far removed from why you actually you know want to have yeah. sex in the first place it's yeah. just ridiculous I've yeah. seen in a movie. i don't think Oh, I don't know if this is true or if you guys do that. I don't know. But in the movies, like the girl after they finish will like so lay with their legs yeah. up in the air, and yeah. like because they're like, yeah, that all upside down. Is that a thing? Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. No. It's a thing. It's a thing that people do. Yeah. <laughs> Whether it works or not is another do. thing. But anatomically, it doesn't make sense because your womb is actually more like flat into the back kind of thing, yeah. rather than. Up. I think it's just from pictures the way we see it, you know, how it's like the ovaries are here yeah. and then the womb is like this perfect triangle. So if you're trying to get pregnant and you've just had sex, laying on your back with your legs in the air is not helpful. <laughs> no, no. Okay. I mean no, someone's no, listening to this really. going, I'm so glad she's asked that question. So yeah. you're yeah, I suppose I, yeah, I think a lot of people do really do that. And yeah. like you it's said, all right. It's... <laughs> No, no, but and I think it's like there's a lot of these things in the infertility community which are biologically or nutritionally or all these things make absolutely no sense. But I think also it's not to be underestimated that you'll probably just do it anyway because you know it also probably doesn't harm you doing it and you think like oh but maybe maybe there's something about it you know what I mean maybe I I'll think just it's just a one life's tale isn't it it's just one of those yeah, things that people yeah. just go there's oh you just do this like and that. you just do it yeah straight people no there are, there's loads of people that, the, a big IVF thing is like to eat a pineapple core like not the pineapple but the core of a pineapple like chowing down on that oh. I mean there is that a little really bit bitter, of scientific isn't it? Evidence. the middle of a pineapple yeah. Yeah, there is like a tiny bit of like scientific evidence because of one of the the ingredient of what's in in the pineapple core that can help with like blood flow and stuff like that. But you would have to eat like quantities yeah, of enormous 000. proportion yeah. to probably in any way benefit. And then you're it, spending so, more yeah. time eating pineapple core than having sex, and it's probably just not going <laughs> to yeah, pay exactly, off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, it's just again, like I said, I think I don't want to, I don't want to. Um, 
like it sounds all ridiculous and crazy but then on the other hand I also very much understand that headspace that you're in where you will just do absolutely anything and Mm, as long as you're not harming anybody or you're not harming yourself you will just do it because you think maybe maybe it'll help so yeah yeah. well thank you so so much for kind of sharing your story and saying all of that because anybody that wants to get pregnant I'm just going to go listen to this podcast because (laughs) everything you need to know so thank you so much for sharing and and coming yeah, on and taking the time yeah, thank you for your time yeah. and sharing your story for yeah. sure yeah because that's you know that's pretty yeah. yeah it's pretty private and personal so and good luck yeah yeah oh, oh my you. god i can't Cheers. wait for like jan feb like just keep it's us updated everything <laughs> yeah. is crossed like really rooting <laughs> for you i love that it's saying like obviously nobody can see that on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm crossing our everything legs up in the air yeah yeah Exactly, yeah. No, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. And thanks so much for having me. Oh, I love listening you. to your podcast. Oh, oh thank, thank you so much. No, genuinely. No, I said it long before I really like your dynamic. It's nice. Oh, thank you. <laughs> girlfriends without being girlfriends. I know. We? we always have to make sure that the guest knows. Yeah, no, we're not together. Like, Shona was like, oh, is Lindsay your, your girlfriend? I was like, absolutely not. I don't think Becky would be very pleased about that. <laughs> no, she would. John definitely wouldn't. So. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. We'll speak to you soon. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hiya, Lindsay. <laughs> How do? How do, love? Yeah, I'm right. Am I right? Yeah. Feeling good? Yeah. Feeling fresh? Funky fresh after that workout? Mm. Fresh as uh, the bottom of a bin. <laughs> I would say. Delicious. Mm. Delightful. So mm, good. that next you for the next hour? Yeah, well, I just ate that sushi thing as well, so now I'm really concerned that I've got sesame seeds in my teeth. No, I'm not going to show you. <laughs> As if I'm going to just be like, Laura, hello, God, sesame seeds. No, I'm gonna you talk. don't. I'm going to talk with my mouth clamped shut for the whole recording today. Oh. <laughs> well, I've got a confession to make. Go on. I got absolutely wankered at the weekend. Oh, and she's going in on the swear words in 41 <laughs> seconds, I think that was. Well done. Well done. That's uh, a record. I have to I have to exaggerate how drunk I was with a swear word because it was pretty bad, but not I want sloppy drunk. I don't get sloppy drunk. I didn't fall what over, kind of didn't throw up. I'm a great drunk. Are you really huggy and friendly? And I'm nice? not huggy. I, well, I did drag a lot of random people onto the dance floor. Okay. I'm a dancer. <laughs> I'm a lovely nanophadu. Maybe good... she'd get really drunk and then come to my class. I would have to be really drunk to come to your <laughs> class. <laughs> Lindsay just struts 7pm on Wednesday. Plug. Yeah. Yeah, it's changed. I know, mm. I saw that this morning. Yeah, let's see. Um, Big fun. I get drunk, that drunk, twice twice a year. LRF summer party, LRF Christmas party. Blow, and that's blow it. me clients. Yeah, I do, to be honest. The tequila shots that Lily kept getting in. Oh, God. Yeah, it's tequila. Tequila always gets me on a good level, bad level, whatever you want to well, call it. Saturday night, this Saturday night coming, I'm really aiming to not get carried away, but mine... I went in knowing I was going to get asked, okay. so... Well, I'm going to have a Diet Coke break in between drinks. Are you? That's going to be nice. <laughs> That is my usual strategy, is to have a drink, a soft drink between an alcoholic drink, and then I stay okay, yeah, and I-, I can have a good time, but I don't feel terrible the next day. Yeah, I usually do that with water, but this time it didn't happen. There's too many tequila <laughs> shots. Every time, time it I had wasn't working. <laughs> Every time I had a naked hand, someone was putting a porn star or a tequila shot in my hand a naked hand a naked hand <laughs> <laughs> an empty hand and you've got a porn star in your hand, star, hand. Naked naked. Hand. fantastic combination but you know what guys next day 
seven, eight portions of fruit and veg, got oh, my steps in, she's back on it. I mean, yeah, it she wasn't a slippery down no, the slope. No, it wasn't, I kept no. straight on it. Yeah, you did it. What yeah. an angel. Yeah. Took your own advice. I did, yeah. Did you get your steps in? Yep. Got my steps in, Queen. got my movement in, got my fruit and veggies, drank loads of water, yeah. Gold star for you. Yep. And Gold then that's it. You can you can have have your bit of fun and then just get straight back on it again and life's great. Carry yeah, on. this is actually good. Um and we weren't we didn't mean to start the podcast this way, no, but we, didn't. we have started it this way. But um <clears throat> like everybody just needs to be realistic right now. If you are socialising over the next four weeks, which pretty much I would say one hundred percent of people will be socialising to some extent. Have realistic goals and expectations, and remember that life is for enjoying, and these things are going to happen, and you do not have to beat yourself up or stress out about it before or after. Try and make a plan. If the plan doesn't work, no big deal. Have some water. Go for a walk. Get your fruit and veg. Be more Lauren. <laughs> Be more Lauren, yeah. Get hydrated and just accept that, you know, you had a good time and you maybe drank a few too many margaritas, but all it's one day out of your whole life, so. Yeah, just get straight back on it. Yeah, we don't need to be going, oh, well, now I've ruined everything because you haven't, it's just one day. So just yeah. crack on and let's let's be rational. Yeah. I'd like some rational thinking, please. Rational thinking. <laughs> That's yeah. what I would like. Okay. So I've also, yeah, we were just talking before. Um, a lot, I have had quite a few conversations in the last week with people who are saying, I just want toast, I just want cake, I just want chocolate, blah, 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 blah. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> but if you have a fat loss goal or a maintenance goal even, or you're just trying to, you know, keep bobbing along up to Christmas, then maybe eating chocolate and toast, which is probably what, again, the majority of people want to do at the minute, it's just, you've got to accept that that's not an option. <laughs> or, or decide or that do it, it is an option yeah. and that you won't lose the or do, or do it and just deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's Basically. the coaching level that we're on today. This is the coaching level today. <laughs> Just deal with it. Deal with yourselves. Right. So, on that note. On that note, let's start some questions and yeah. be nice. Yeah. <laughs> what have we got? So, first one. Do you have a step goal each day? Lauren. Yeah, well, I have a movement goal each day. And recently, I've been sharing on my stories, like, my non-negotiable step count. Like, if I'm not training, 6,000... Uh, 8,000 if I am training 6,000 but that is off my phone I don't wear a Fitbit or watch or anything at all so I know that I'll be getting in a lot more steps than it actually says on my phone it's not really about the specific number it's about the level of movement I'm getting throughout my day like I fidget a lot I work in an active job I'm on my feet a lot but I still would be like okay have I done enough movement and I know roughly off my phone six to eight thousand steps a day is ticking a box that's minimum Taking a box mm-hmm. and as long as I can do that like I, I kind of like having my non-negotiable set so when I'm hanging out my ass what's the bare minimum yeah. of that day and that would that. be 8,000 for me yeah. and I'd manage to tick that box because it's kind of like a rule I've set myself yeah I wouldn't want my clients to set rules and not hit them so I'm gonna hit my own rules yeah good but yeah. I, I used to wear a apple watch and I was generally 
at least 12,000 anyway because I'm a fidget. I cannot sit still. And like you, I'm backwards and forwards taking weights, bringing kettlebells, putting things back um, all through the day. And I try to make sure that when I'm waiting for the kids, I'll go and have a trot around the Valley Gardens for 20 minutes and that's usually me done. Um, If I'm feeling a little bit like, you know, maybe I've been on holiday, then I would up I would try and up my movement again, but I don't particularly count steps, but I do set step goals for clients and that is meeting them where they're at. So if somebody is, a you know, desk based and maybe they're sat down for eight, 10 hours a day and they're not really doing any movement, then starting them off at 10,000 wouldn't be realistic. Yeah. So <clears throat> it really depends on what amount of move, other movement you're doing. So whether you're, you know, you, maybe you cycle to work and back, well, that counts really as well as movement. It's step count is just a really easy way for people to get their movement up. It increases that neat, the non-exercise activity. Um, and it's something that you can, you can see, you can count and you can build on, um, and you can, improve it's like anything you know if you start somebody off on say 6k as like that's your basic um and then they're nailing that habit in four six weeks then you're gonna go right let's make it 8k you know whatever's achievable sometimes people start off thinking oh i I definitely can't fit in a walk well you most definitely can Mm. if you find you know that sort of 10 minutes somewhere and then you might realize oh i actually really enjoy this it gives me my time for headspace it gives me time to organize my thoughts um and then you you know you want to go on a longer walk um or you start factoring in a walk with friends etc yeah something i've noticed with quite a few clients is they get to the end of the day they look at their steps it's like three to four thousand they're like how is it so low i've been rushing around all day i've taken the kids here i've taken the kids Mm -hmm. there i'm doing this they can't believe they're on three to four thousand like because you've been sat in the car you've been sat at work just because your head is going ten thousand miles an hour and here there and everyone feels busy and overwhelmed doesn't mean your body is actually getting that active movement in Mm -hmm. so i've got a few clients that are getting a bit of a shock at the moment that are like oh my god i'm only moving that much but i'm so stressed out and doing too much and actually now that they're upping their steps and they're walking more they're taking 15 minutes for themselves like you just said headspace organize their thoughts a bit of peace and quiet a bit of time for them not only is their body actually getting the movement and the nature that it needs but they're ticking their step count and yeah so you might feel like your day is a thousand miles an hour and you've walked here there and everywhere but actually it could just be more mental than physical movement so it's a good way of tracking that it's a bit of an inconvenient truth isn't it because it's something that i've said to a few people you you're you're busy that doesn't mean you're active yeah and that they are really different things, unfortunately. So although you do, like Lauren says, you feel like you're, you're non-stop, like it's you're sat in the car, you're sat watching the kids swimming, like you're sat at your desk, but other things are going on, we get it. Like there's loads of lifestyle factors, but it is really important and it's so good for you, so beneficial to get out and do a short walk every day and just build it up gradually and make it a priority in your life. Yes. Yes. Uh, okay, next question. How much protein do you recommend for a female looking to grow muscle? It depends. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, like it's if when when we calculate macros, um there are a lot of factors that we would be looking at and that would be again like starting with somebody where where they are and if somebody came to me and yes they you know we want to either be building or maintaining lean mass um 
but they were living on um bread and croissants and pastries or you know basically like rice and pasta and and quite a a carbohydrate based diet setting someone then a goal of say 1.82 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight wouldn't be realistic i would my general guideline for a woman is over 100 grams you're doing great um it's quite difficult and it's one of the things that most people do struggle with is getting protein in at every meal and getting enough protein in at every meal. So we aim for sort of 25 grams per meal as a, as a minimum. Um, and then obviously you can add in snacks to that as well. I would say going 1.8 plus for building muscle um per that's 1.8 grams per body per kilo of body weight so you need to calculate that for yourself but it really does vary again depending on your metabolism your movement your natural yeah what training you're doing your natural propensity to grow lean mass um there, there are a lot of variables so it's a bit of a trial and error situation again unfortunately where you just you know start with a, a minimum or start on that calculation i think that what's the um nhs recommendation is really quite low for low. protein isn't yeah. it? Really and on low. my fitness pal as well it's mm. pretty low i always tell clients if yeah. you're gonna track and use the app um make make sure it's at least like 30 percent yeah on my fitness pal yeah I'm, I'm exactly the same with clients so meet them where they're at for one so if they're on like 30 grams of protein a day which actually most people come to me on quite low i'll be like right let's aim for double that and then let's aim for 80 then let's aim for 100 and as they start learning yeah how to balance calories with amount of protein we up and up and up yeah minimum 100 though for muscle growth but again you've got to just meet people where they're at and if they're new to dieting and protein they're probably new to training and if you're new to training you can build muscle easier yeah so also focusing on that yeah but yeah i would a starting point would be 1.5 grams per kilo of body weight and i think that's some again for some people is still quite hard to achieve mm. um it's <clears throat> some people john and i did a a a sort of a nutrition plan going back about 12 years when he was still playing rugby and he found the amount of protein that he had to eat in a meal so hard to Mm -hmm. eat he was saving bits of his meal because I was like well he was getting mad about not being able to eat it and it's like just too much food oh no that's so bad yeah (laughs) Poor you. Um, but I was like, just put it in a Tupperware and have it as a snack later. It's like, it's ridiculous. Put all that meat in a sandwich. <laughs> I was like, Do you, why are you getting angry about it? Like, this is this is your plan and this is what you've got. I was like, I wish I could have a bit more. I wish I yeah. could have a bit more of what you're having. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is, it's just sometimes it can be quite an adjustment in terms of texture as well and variety. And if you're like... Um, and you if you're know, veggie or vegan. Yeah, that's you. really hard. <laughs> yeah, if you're vegetarian or vegan, yeah, that's a, that is a tricky one. Um, because you can get plenty of protein from plants. It's just you've got to eat a hell of a lot more of them and mm. <laughs> end up feeling like a little bit yeah. of a rabbit. If you want help working out how much protein or how many calories yeah. that you should be eating then drop us a message and we'll work it out yeah but we need more detail really um to be able to give you a personalized goal of protein um because there as i say there's quite a few things to factor in but as a rough guide 1.5 to 1.8 is should be reasonably manageable for somebody who is active and training as i know you are yes 
Right. Uh, do you believe in active rest days or is that an oxymoron? Mm. Like that word. <laughs> yeah, oxymoron. <laughs> um, yeah, literally my entire year has been an active rest day. That's how I felt. This whole year has felt like an active rest day. But yeah, active rest days, absolutely. They are... Did it say it was it a myth or something? Do you believe in active rest days? Do you believe yeah. in it? Like yes, Santa I Claus. believe in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are very helpful. Active rest days. So, how to put this? If you are intensely training, having an active rest day gives you that little break away from it, but without completely stopping and doing nothing. So, say you're training CrossFit five times a week, an active recovery day could be going for a 45 minute swim or a hike or playing tennis. It just gives you that little break away from whatever it is that you're usually training so you get that mental rest from it but also gives your body time to recover from that intensity while still moving so like when we're playing soccer a million times a week <clears throat> we had to have active rest days every week so we would play we'd be playing two to three matches a week and then every single sunday would be like a three to five k jog as a team so yeah. we're going at the slowest player's pace so active recovery just to give our bodies that wind down time but without just stopping completely and not moving i would find it really hard to do absolutely nothing yeah even on the days where i'm not working and you know there's that thing of like if you are <coughs> i think i am one of those people who when my say my um energy intake goes up i do naturally up my output yeah i'm not good at sitting still so even if i've done a you know a workout in the morning but then i've got no work that day then i'm hoovering i'm cleaning i'm fidgeting i'm backwards and forwards because i just naturally it's not where it's something that's i don't know it's not something that comes to me like to just sit where again john can literally he'll <laughs> he will just sit he can just or do he can just sit all day, day long mm. While I run around at home, changing the loo rolls. Putting the... Poor John. You know what? John gets outed on this podcast so much. Poor guy. Ah, you know John. What? John is great. John is so great. But he is my sort of... It, does, it, it, it interests me because like, he'll work really hard in a workout. But then I, I, it, it's quite impressive like how he can just sit and, and watch, you know, watch a series. He could watch five episodes of something back to back and not flinch and i'm like how can you sit there for that long without mm. needing to move mm. like it's so alien to me but yeah i think an active rest day is a really good thing because it means that like lauren said you're you're changing the stimulus you're giving yourself your central nervous system your cortisol levels a little bit of a, a break um if you're doing high stress activities like long distance cycling uh, long distance running or you know sprinting whatever it is that you're putting that stress load on your body you need to have that yin yang um for me and like the having a day or two a week at least where you are doing something that is more i don't want to say more enjoyable but something that you do enjoy doing and it gives you a totally different focus so it, it could be you know maybe you're doing marathon training on your own and then on your active rest day, you go and play um, netball. Yeah. So it's a totally different <clears throat> thing. Um, and it's something that you're, you know, you're still, or paddle, you know, some, something that is like, it's fun, it's stimulating, you're moving in a different way, um, you're still getting some activity in, but it's not 
anything that is too strenuous on your mind, body, or soul. Yeah. I was <laughs> just thinking, what I like, at what level would you actually need to incorporate active rest days? So, I was thinking for me, obviously, I was playing football like every single day, quite intense, high level. You've just then used the example of marathon running, very intense, very high level. So, I'm thinking if you're kind of just pottering along with kind of not that intense training, not really aiming for anything too crazy, no big event or anything. Is it needed? Active recovery? I guess maybe more for the mental side yeah. than the physical side that's always good to have a break. Yeah, because you've got to allow for some neural adaptation. If I would say, What I would say is if you are somebody who is new to training and it's all relative, right? So if somebody is new to training and say they're learning cleans, right and they've come to the gym and and they've started learning loads of new skills like you still need some downtime from that even though you know it's not what you might you know you might be just doing it with an empty bar even but for that person relatively it's still mm. like and also don't underestimate the stress load of going into a gym environment where you're the newbie mm. and everybody else knows what they're doing and everybody else has got 50, 60, 70, 110 mm. kilos on their bar and so you're probably there. more mental than So I yeah, know. I think it's, um, yeah, I think there's benefits to it in lots of different ways. Um, but again, knowing this person, they train like pretty hard and um, they're very active and I think... For, for this individual, uh, I would say active rest days would mm. be pretty important. Yeah. Mm. Um, they take their training seriously. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I, I think it just really depends on the individual and what they're used to and, you know, whether they're new to training, whether they're adapted to it and, how, you know, age. God, there's so many things you can yeah. factor in, isn't there? I've, I definitely have noticed over the last five years i i need more rest days i don't you know it's not i don't feel good if i'm going hard at it every day Mm -hmm. and then you're working as well and then you have your you know for me i've got my kids to look after and the household to run and it's like you know there's it's it's that whole health thing we're coming back to again where you're looking at all the lifestyle factors the total stress load and we definitely do need some down days yeah. yeah, we talked about it the other week of you know people having the gym as their sort of outlet, like whatever it is. It's I think you've got to have something for you and some time for yourself and something that you enjoy doing. Yeah, yeah, just mixing it up a little bit. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Next question: Front squats or back squats? Well, I'm definitely front squats now. I've been front squats for over a year. Why is that, Lauren? Back injuries, Lindsay. Thank you for asking. <laughs> just get some salt out and stick that right in that wound yeah i had a back injury it sucked and the physio i saw was like just front load like it's not worth the payoff and now it's been quite a long time i probably would be okay with back squats but because i've trained front for the last year it does niggle in the back of my mind if i put a bar on my back how will it be but and I, before the injury, I was always back squats, way preferred back squats. You can lift heavy with back squats. Is but, that why you preferred it? Yeah, it was definitely. Well, yeah, ego thing, but also the comfort of having not having yeah. a bar in my neck and getting used to that front rack position. But now, it's been a year of front squatting every single week. So it's just, that's how it is now. And I'm, yeah, that's just how it is for me. What about you? I think front squats make your back squat stronger. 
Um, I, th- I think, yeah, in terms of like positioning of your body, being able to stack the rib cage over the hips a little bit more, uh, well, quite a bit more. Um, yeah, in terms of like safety of loading, um, and also from the point of view of what we do for cleans, clean and jerk, all of that stuff, you need to be able to be strong in that front, driving that weight up in a front rack position. Um, if you're mobile, um, and I'm, I mean in terms of hip mobility and shoulder mobility and that you can comfortably front rack a bar, it's definitely beneficial to to, to front squat um, and it will it will increase your back squat. Yeah. Um, but I know, you know, some people really struggle with that high elbow position and getting into a, a nice deep squat and also keeping the back position. Um so yeah, um, it is a very personal thing again, but I think yeah, because everybody's squat, everybody's squat looks different, yeah, and everybody is different on their mobility again. So can they even get their elbows up mm-hmm. into a front squat position? Are they can they get used to having the bar sitting there? What do their back squats look like? Do we need to elevate the heels? Like there's so many components into what squat is best for each yeah. person. Um, I think if you can do both, go for both because then mm-hmm. you can train them evenly but for me I just I haven't reintroduced back yet and you know I'm living my life perfectly fine (laughs) yeah goblet um goblet squats are great as well with that weight in that front rack position if you're if you can't get the elbows through or you don't have access to a barbell um weighted goblet squats um I've, I've been using those with a couple of clients who do have the an issue with shoulder mobility and can't rack a bar on their back or in front yeah. <laughs> um, because range of movement is so limited. You can get um, a safety bar. Are they called safety yeah, bars? I don't yeah. have one, but you can get them so you can hold on to something or straps even. I've got mm. a client who can't get the front rack position, but if we put straps on and she holds onto the straps, nice. she can get her elbows up. Yeah. So that's really helpful. But squat variation I've been using a lot is urchin squats because... Yeah. At some point, holding a kettlebell gets really difficult. Like, you're trying to swing up a 24-kilo kettlebell to hold it. Yeah, well, that's it, isn't it? It's like, then it depends on loading, and you have to adjust that. Yeah. So if if you struggle with front, you struggle with back, you want to load up your bar, but you just can't get it up, go for Zercher. (laughs) You can't get it up, go for Zercher. I I wouldn't know about that. Describe Zercher, Lauren, for people who don't know what a Zercher squat is. Ah. Ah, yeah, um, having the bar in your elbow crease basically. It's not super comfortable no, if you're in a t shirt. You could use a bar pad or keep a jumper on or something, but I really like them. I like them. I don't find the clients like them very much. I don't <laughs> find the clients don't like squats very yeah, much. Yeah, but they're just not, they're, yeah, it's not a comfortable bar position, is it? But yeah, I think that again, they've had a lot of uh, Instagram attention lately, so chest squats, I've, I've noticed, yeah. Yeah, because they're yeah, good, they're because good, a lot yeah, of people good. do struggle with yeah. front and back yeah. mobility. Good positioning, yeah. Okay, next questions. <laughs> <laughs> this next question, how can I lengthen my levers? How can I lengthen my levers? From my short-levered friend. <laughs> right, can one, I my knees done? you can't lengthen your levers, and by levers we're talking about your arms and legs. For those, again, who may be wondering what the hell levers are. Um, and also, if you've got short levers, you're winning with yeah. weightlifting. Yeah. It's so much easier to do all of the Olympic lifts if you're 
short ass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got a client who is short and always puts herself down about being short, but I'm like, honey, your, your lifts yeah. are so good. Yeah. So you embrace the short levers. That's what I would say. Embrace the short levers. Otherwise, I'll get my rack out and I'll stretch you. Me and Lauren are between two cars. <laughs> your rack out. Get me a rack out. <laughs> You're not on about chest rack then. No, I'm not on about my chest rack, Lauren. Where's your this? Oh, it's the same thing. Where's my chat? Oh, here I am. This is what I'm looking for. (laughs) Oh yeah, hi, lovely. Right, I'm gonna read this one because I like (laughs) I like how you've written it. You said, (laughs) yeah, I know. I got you spend five to ten minutes on a Sunday planning meals. It takes me two hours. How? (laughs) (laughs) So angry at me about this. (laughs) Yeah, I think it just reads a lot angrier than it it's meant to, which is so funny. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So every every weekend, I sit down and spend ten minutes and literally plan my week out plan my meals with Becky and what our food shop is. And I can literally get it all done in five to 15 minutes, depending on if I've got more stuff going on that week or whatever. I have been doing this for years. I literally have done this every single week for years. And you'll find that you pretty much eat very similar foods on a rotation. So we'll sit down and be like, okay, we'll have paella, stir fry, a steak, a Fish pie. <laughs> what pie? We every fish pie. Fish I don't pie. know why I've said fish pie. But you get what I'm saying. Like five, six basic meals. And then some we lobster tails some on lobster, Saturday. Some caviar. No, just like whatever it is. Lasagna. Like you'll find that you eat the same things on rotation. Also, I don't have children to think about and what they like and don't like and what they're fussy with. That's nice and quick. It's literally just me and Becky. So... It just, it's just easy because I've been doing it for so long. It's easy because I don't have anyone else to think about. Eat like the same got, things on rotation. Have you got a similar taste, you and Becky? Yeah. Yeah, except she likes olives and oh, I can't stand olives. Olives are great. Oh my God, absolutely not. I wish I liked olives because I feel like I miss out. Yeah, but they're a thing that you can put in something or not, aren't they? They're not like I hate an them. integral part of the meal. Yeah. Like, Becky can add them, yeah. and that's fine. It doesn't affect you. Yeah, they're in the fridge, and I'm like, oh, God, they're back. And I can <laughs> taste back. them. If she chops olives, say we're making a salad, she chops the olives before she's chopped yeah, anything else in yeah. my salad. I can taste it from the knife. Oof. Oh, my God, it's so bad. Oh, I love them. Do you no. not like black or green? No. No. I really don't. So... Yeah, that's how. It's practice and not overcomplicating it. Not, you know, I'm not looking at BBC Good Foods recipes every single week trying to hammer out different recipes all the time. Like, I would probably say I add in one new recipe a month. Right. And we've got a pretty good, what do you call it? Encyclopedia. <laughs> um, like, you know, mental cookbook going on now of different yeah. things we could add in. Like, oh, oh we just added in this... Um, vegetable root vegetable crumble which is really nice mm. so we've added that one in now what yes. are you using for the crumble it's um bread and some cheese Ooh. and yeah nice just sprinkle on top it's probably something else i can't think and just like a ton of different veg chopped up in it loads of different seasonings spices and stuff it's really good really festive festive yeah lovely yeah um what i would say is when you're make when you're doing your meal planning are you planning recipes as well like, are you researching recipes are you trying to make it really varied because you don't it doesn't need to be mm. over complicated i think sometimes people are like oh i really need to be eat because we do talk about variety a lot and 
trying to add in different vegetables and you know keeping your keeping your diet varied it's really good for gut health to include lots of different fresh herbs and spices um so you know yeah we want the variety in there but it doesn't mean that you have to make it really like you've got to go and find all these really crazy recipes from different mm-hmm. websites like if you can get a couple of good cookbooks um the ones that there's online um there's mob kitchen which has some great recipes on and you can search it by cuisine you can search by like what kind of um meat you want to use or whether you're vegetarian or vegan um and that's free um and there's also one that we've been using lately is jamie oliver's website and they again he has like healthy meals and there's a section and just sent it out to a few of my clients the other day who are wanting to find a you know a bit of variety and it's um there's a healthy chicken meals section Mm. great and they all have veggies in there's a really lovely butternut squash dish that we did as a side with uh, some pine nuts and some fresh herbs and um it was what is it zatar um (laughs) it's like a moroccan spice uh, but it makes it really warm and it had cinnamon in it and it would have been really nice with feta cheese like don't be afraid to experiment with things that you already do you already know how to make and just putting some other stuff in there Mm -hmm. or adding a different vegetable in or switching something out like if you would normally have a stir fry with prawns have it with chicken I she was thinking the exact yeah. same thing like so, just put a chicken in or a yeah. steak instead or a shrimp instead like it's yeah. the, you could have stir fry every single week and make it different every yeah. single week yeah completely i think if you start off with going right okay well these are the meals that i normally have and then i'm also going to add a stir fry in because lauren loves a stir fry and i want to suck up to my coach <laughs> <laughs> yeah good stir for you <laughs> um and then go right what what meat do i like what do i fit you it, we all go through phases like where it's like god i feel like all i've eaten is chicken and mm-hmm. i don't want to have chicken again or you know maybe you've been and had a uh, one of these steak all you can eat meat buffet things and you're like i don't want to see another steak for about 17 years like just think about what you actually want what you're going to enjoy first think about your protein source then think about what veggies you like and then it's yeah. kind of yeah don't overcomplicate it is what i would say yeah that's what it, it is it's just don't complicate yeah. it just make it super easy like yeah. some kind of stir fry every week some kind of veg tray every week yeah we do that really be tray like bakes salmon. are great yeah it could be salmon could be chicken and the chicken you can do so many different things with like yeah. we now get our meat from crimple because they do this three for 12 pounds thing um sponsorship please (laughs) (laughs) um so every week our chicken is a different flavor and it's like really really nice um or we had burgers last week or Mm -hmm. i don't know like there's just so much you can do but it is definitely practice and keeping it easy not having to overcomplicate it keep it simple and practice yeah once you've done it a couple times your shopping list will end up being pretty much very similar each week yeah the the an aside to this is um that it i think sometimes people think that food should be really entertaining do you know what i mean yeah like that that's your entertainment in the day where actually yes sometimes consistency is a bit boring but like just don't make that like it's the main source of like excitement and I think managing expectations it's not I'm not saying like all your food should be really boring and healthy food is boring but 
to make life easier for yourself, there is going to be some repetition in there. And like, I will always have in stir fry veg, always, always in my freezer. And I'll go and get a couple of bags through the week because it's so fast. It's so easy. I know if I've got eggs, if I've got prawns, if I've got some chicken breast and these, you know, really prawns and eggs and stir fry veg. If I've got those things, then I can make myself a meal that is healthy. It's got plenty of fiber in it. It's got plenty of protein in it. And, you know, I'm not looking at it for any kind of excitement. I'm looking at it because it's nutritious and quick quick and cheap and easy. And I know that I can just bosh that together in five minutes, chuck some cumin and paprika and whatever in it and it's done. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, just simplify things for yourself and, and don't try to, yeah, make things more elaborate than they need to be. Yeah, Okay, next question. How to remain goal-focused over Christmas and not get too carried away? Uh, I think having your values in check and also deciding what do you actually want to achieve over Christmas um, what, and also in line with what do you normally do and is that serving you? So... You know, if your family, we've discussed this before, is a family that will, you know, it's all about the big feast and it's, you know, there's 17 courses and you all then end up feeling, you know, quite tired and sitting in front of the telly and vegging out by tea time, then, and and you know that that's not something that you want to do this year, then I would be saying, right, what, how am I going to approach it? If you absolutely love Christmas and you want to embrace it all and you feel like, I don't know, you it would be frowned upon or um, you would feel like you're missing out on something by not embracing everything that's available, then are your, you know, what, what are your values and how strongly do you feel about them? It's, for me, I'm like, there's no reason for us to not be able to enjoy all of the things that are available at Christmas and and still not be able, you know, not stick to sort of a goal of, of keeping, maintaining where you are or um, the progress from, for me there would be that you, you've, you've, you've stuck to what you were, what your plan was really. So I think for a start, have, have an idea in your mind of how you want to approach it. What do you want? How do you want to feel in January? And how do you sort of visualise those sort of two to three days going with food and alcohol? It's hard, isn't it? Because you have got to be realistic. And I think if we go in going, I'm not going to have any mince pies and I'm not going to drink and I'm not going to... it's you, You're setting yourself up for failure, really. It's because like restriction. Yeah, because somebody's going to come at you with an eggnog. <laughs> <laughs> Coming over my with a mince pie. <laughs> and, 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 you know, if you have had a couple of drinks, then you're more likely to have something and the next day then you're like, oh, I shouldn't have had that. I said I was not going to eat any mince pies and you've had yeah. one. So I think just keep an open mind with yourself. But, yeah... It's once a year. And is it, how important is it to you? What, what is important to you around that time of year? Is it spending time with family? Is it nailing... Lindors. Lindors till they're coming out of your ears. <laughs> What's your take on it, Lauren? Yeah, yeah. 
You're right. And like, it, the thing is, what is difficult is everybody is so different. Because what I would say to somebody that's a recovering anorexic is yeah. not what I would be saying to yeah, someone completely. who is morbidly obese and struggling with their mental health. Like, very, very different things. So it's really difficult to say this is how you should be. There is no should. I think that's important to recognise is that how you want to spend your Christmas is how you want to spend it. There is nothing we can say that like even me and Lindsay we're gonna have very different Christmases I will probably indulge much more than Lindsay will because we're very different people we have different values we're in different places with our exercise and training and diets right now I'm not wrong she's not wrong we're just in very different places with that right now Lindsay's right it's what do you want out of it in January are you gonna look back and go fuck me I have just gained five kilos in a month of pure body fat and I feel like shit I've been hung over every single week like do you want to feel like that if no then pause before you start drinking pause before you overindulge and ask yourself will I thank myself for this later do I need this right now what am I going to feel better for down the line and keep coming back to your values, keep coming back to your goals. I know this person in particular wants to get into a wedding dress next year. So remind yourself, is this going to be helpful or a hindrance to what I want to achieve? And just slow down, slow down. And if you want it and it's a fuck yeah, have it, enjoy it and move on. Like I did at the weekend, I wanted the tequila, I had it, I enjoyed it. And then I got over it the next day and carried on with my plan. Moved a little bit more, ate healthy, did a session, like carried on with my life. And it was, uh, you know, didn't pull me back. I don't feel guilty for it. It happened, whatever. Takes practice to get to that point. But if you can practice that, then great. Yeah, I think there there was a, it was Alan Aragon, is he? What's his surname now? The the nutrition guy? Yes, yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll find it and we'll, we'll have to because it was really interesting they did um a seasonal um study um where they'd topped up calories to go in into an excess with literally squirty cream over a week i think it was Mm -hmm. and then one group i think didn't do any training either and literally people put on like a pound of it was something like 0.5 of um, body fat and 0.5 of lean mass mm. in that week. So really, you know, even if you're going over your calories, the the weight that you will see change on the scale, if this is something that you're focused on, um, will not be representative of how much body fat you've put on. Mm-hmm. Generally, if if and when we have a few days of eating more than we normally would, it is food volume, is literally poo passing through your system and waste products passing through your system. If you've had, had alcohol, obviously that has an effect as well. Mm-hmm. If you've had more salty foods, that has an effect as well. So I think just like when you go on holiday or any time you take a break and you increase um calories in and your calories out or your movement your energy out is lower don't jump on a scale have a week give yourself a week to settle i would even go as far as to say don't even look at it until after new year like if it's really, gonna bother you if it's you gonna bother you from the scales yeah, it's, it's, no it, it's not going to give you an accurate representation of what you've done anyway um and i think just 
wait until you're back in a, a good week of your normal habits um, around food and movement. And then if you if you have a weight loss goal and you're looking at the scale weight, I would not be doing it until this 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 sort of two weeks of of celebrations of yeah. uh, literally celebrations. Yeah, I have identical conversations with clients every single week about scale weight, and I'll share it on my stories every single week about scale weight. Reminder: yeah. the scales going up on a Monday is probably because of this, this, this all things you've just said. Um, where was I going with that? I don't know. What was I saying? Well, it's it, well, just that you know, it, when we've had a time of. Um, eating increased calories mm. and less movement that you yeah. know it's we put too much value on what the scale says and it ma- it makes people panic and actually one what does it matter because there's only you that knows and secondly most of the time it's not accurate and it doesn't mean that you've all of that weight is fat and you've undone all the previous six weeks work yeah christmas is literally a drop in the ocean it is a week of an entire year. That doesn't mean spend the whole week, you know, not moving and, like you said, just devouring Lindors, but also recognise it is just a few days. And you probably will subconsciously move more if you have yeah. consumed more. But if you don't want to slob on the couch and feel like shit because you've overeaten, then obviously the answer would be don't overeat. And that would be take the pause before eating, mm-hmm. question it, come back to your values. Yeah, so let's say then, right, you, you're you going into Christmas and you have got, as Lauren said, a goal for next year and um, you you are mindful of your nutrition quality and your calories going in, then the pause is a really good place to start. I do think like having some kind of rough plan and setting yourself some parameters is a good idea. I would probably be adjusting like breakfast calories. So making that something more, you know, like a, an omelette with some veggies in if you can, or just something really small and simple, knowing that you're going to have a big Christmas dinner. You don't need to be having a massive breakfast as well, for example. Another thing that I would be doing is putting more veggies on my plate. You've got so many. Like, I mean, I love veg anyway, mm. so I could literally have a plate of sprouts without thinking about oh, it. Oh, God, of all the veggies, you came up with sprouts. I bloody love sprouts. Love sprouts, parsnips, yeah. Give me it all. Yeah, love it. sprouts are gross. But um, to, like, a Christmas dinner, if, if you think about it, is not actually... There's nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Yes, you've got pigs in blankets. Yes, they are also delicious. Yeah. And you don't need to eat 10 of them. Mm. Like you can enjoy the food without really going crazy on the calories on one, one thing. So yeah. I'll be saying, eat your veg, eat your protein, and then eat slowly and steadily. And more than anything, that allows you then to enjoy the company. And it's, the Christmas is about the company, family, chats, mm-hmm. get getting together, doing you know the things that we don't get chance to do for most of the year and everybody gets to slow down and have a few days yeah. with family which might not be very nice for some people that might lead you to the Linda <laughs> yeah that might definitely lead you to a bottle of wine yeah there are obviously a lot more social occasions too so like Christmas mm. parties nights out alcohol so navigating those what what I do personally is I just plan ahead which occasions am I yeah. wanting to get Trolley that. that, yeah. <laughs> so my own Christmas party with clients, I'm of obviously going to let yeah. loose and have a bit of alcohol, but that's me done for Christmas. I don't drink on Christmas yeah. Day, I don't drink on Christmas Eve, I don't drink boxing. So like, that's that's kind of my plan. But if you've got lots of occasions coming up and you know that your family are heavy drinkers on Christmas Day and you want to enjoy that with them, then maybe 
hold back a little yeah. bit on the work Christmas party yeah. with your boyfriend. I don't know, like <clears throat> find a balance that's going to work for you instead of going hard and heavy every single occasion. Pick the ones that you want to go a little bit harder at and then the other ones you can sit back and relax. Actually, I did have a client who came on Friday night and she sat there completely sober and was like, I know I'm going to get pretty lit next weekend. And I, I was like, that's absolutely fine. fine. Yeah. yeah, she didn't drink anything at all because she was like, I'm going to get on it next next time. Yeah. So just I think, yeah, there's a level of like just planning, prioritizing, getting yourself in like a just in feeling in control with it. It shouldn't be something that's is, you know, going to stress you out. Like, I think if you set your stall out and you're just like, yeah, I'm going to enjoy everything. But I also my goal is just to not feel absolutely stuffed at 6 p.m. Yeah. Right. Then you're going to eat slowly. You're going to be mindful. You're sort of thinking, well, there are certain elements of this that I'm really going to enjoy. And um, one of my things that I've said to a few clients who do really like, you know, the mince pies and the sort of heavy, like, cakey situations, going back right back to the beginning of going, you know, well, I'm really just all I want to eat at the minute is toast and chocolate. Well, yeah, I mean, toast and chocolate are great. But if it's, what I would say is, if it's a really great mince pie, for example go for it but don't waste your cows on crap mince pies <laughs> that's really the like rule pies, so no i'm not so i'm not bo- i'm anyway. not bothered for them at all yeah. but i bloody love a toblerone mm. so yeah. you know but i don't need four pieces of toblerone you yeah. know one is really enough yeah. and i've got <laughs> i know one person who'll probably be listening to this now going you're an absolute heathen for saying <laughs> I can, i'm like i can just eat like two squares of chocolate and she's like how yeah, how I what is this witchcraft because <laughs> it's the taste it's the taste like that is enough yeah. satisfaction for me like there was a st- i heard about a study and i really don't know the numbers of it but it was something about how much you enjoy the rest of a meal like yeah you don't get any more enjoyment from any more of yeah. the meal past the first 20 percent or yeah. something like that yeah. so eating yourself to oblivion you know the hunger fullness scale as well bear that in mind zero being absolutely starving and 10 being sick full we want to sit between a four and a seven and if you keep checking back in with that am i at a four or five or six or seven am i pushing on an eight okay i probably know that now's maybe the time to ease off a little bit yeah if you're getting to a nine and a ten where it's like sitting in your throat and it's feeling awful sick, it's, it's not it a nice, nice place to and be and that happens sometimes it does but just try and remind yourself i want to be before and between a four and a seven and, and just keep checking in with yourself on that one yeah and again getting out for a walk is really nice especially if you're with like annoying in-laws or something (laughs) like it's you know go go out and get some fresh air um and say to yourself well right well yeah I'm going to enjoy the Christmas dinner I'm going to enjoy the chocolates I'm going to have a couple of glasses of wine whatever but I'm also going to get out for a walk yeah each day and I've still got some movement in and it will make you feel better um but yeah most of all be in control, make your own decisions about what your Christmas, what you want your Christmas to look like. And then once you've made the decision, own that decision. And then, yeah, without setting yourself like really unrealistic goals around it, anything else that you do above and beyond that is a bonus. Yeah. So we want to be, you know, coming into January really feeling like accomplished and like, yeah, I had a really good time. I really enjoyed it. I don't feel like I deprived myself of anything. Um, I've got no regrets and let's go. Yeah. Boom, baby. And it, yeah, I mean, 
for me, I'm I'm like, I don't like this whole narrative of like, new year, new me. Like, yeah. So it's like, oh, I know in the new year I'm going to go ham, I'm going to go hard, yeah. so I'm going to spend Christmas getting absolutely obliterated. Well, John's going to get blasted again right now. Because... <laughs> I'm so protective of him now. <laughs> because he is, so as I've said to you, John is going to do a triathlon in May. So his attitude at the minute is, I'm having a great time, <laughs> just, you know, having whatever I want. And then in January, that's it. I'm on it. And I'm like, but why not just be a bit more moderate now? And then you're not going to have to feel like you have to stop drinking completely mm. in January. Just be, much be normal. January, just yeah. be a normal human being. <laughs> Bless him. I'm here for you, John. Gotcha, I, buddy. John is great. I love John, but John doesn't like listening to Lindsay. <laughs> don't be John, guys. Don't be like John. No, but, but I just don't like. Again, it's that logic of going. Well, if I just enjoy myself and enjoy everything yeah. in moderation all year, there's not that intense desire to be like, it's Christmas. Mm-hmm. I've got to eat everything that's available. Yeah, because you know by January, feel, February, you're not going to yeah. eat anything. You're cutting out sugar. You're cutting out chocolate. You're never going to eat pizza. Yeah. It's like this over restriction for a massive overindulgence. Yeah. And I'd say this about the day-to-day as well if you massively restrict and don't eat till two o'clock in the afternoon yeah. you're probably going to be absolutely bloody starving, starving and overeat and end up with extra calories yeah anyway you've overeaten yeah. because you're so hungry so it's the same across the whole well the day the week the month like if you are going to if you were thinking in your head i'm going to massively over restrict in january you're likely to over massively overindulge at christmas yeah. so try and be not black or white you're Somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in the middle. Yeah, give yourself... It's that unconditional permission, again. Because if you give yourself permission to have whatever you want, it's not a taboo. It's not off limits. It's not It's not naughty. It's, you know, it's just there. And you can have it and you can take it or leave it. And nobody's telling you, you know, there there shouldn't be any guilt attached to it. And if you really struggle with overeating and emotional eating and binge eating, reach out. Yeah. Get help. Yeah. Ask for help. Get a coach. Have some accountability and some support. Um, and get some answers behind perhaps why you do these things. That's an entire conversation by itself. Yeah. But yeah. It How can I eat out and still stay on track with calories <clears throat> quickly? Well, pick one carb source. If you're going out for an Indian, have either the naan bread or the rice. You're going for a Chinese rice or noodles. That is the simple, quickest thing to just manage your calories while you're eating out. Pick one carb source. When you've ordered your meal, go for veggies and protein first and then have the higher carbs last. Eat slowly, eat mindfully, pause. Don't get a pudding if, if just because everybody else is getting a pudding. If you're full, leave it. Um, again, it can, this will very much depend on the client, but... Generally speaking, if you're looking for fat loss and you've got a good relationship with food and we're not working on unconditional permission to eat and all of those things, yeah, choose one carb source. Don't get the pudding if you don't need it. Don't go for the heavy um, cornstar martini. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and now there's calories on menus. You can actually make an informed and powered decision yourself. Like You can go for the lower cal option, but if you're going out for dinner, you can assume it's going to be high cal. Stop when full, yeah. eat slowly, pause, breathe, put your knife or fork down, chew slowly, all of these things that we talk about. Yeah, and it's just continual yeah. practice of those skills. I use this or that, so similarly, it would be, right, if you're drinking for a start, 
and I am not advocating that you <laughs> just replace all carbohydrates with alcohol. <laughs> but, <laughs> Hit it first. So so yeah, but I'm I'm always like in the daytime, if you're going out for an evening meal in the daytime, try and keep it more leaner protein sources because generally generally if you're eating out in a restaurant, it's gonna be higher fat because they're gonna use more fat than you probably would at home to cook things in because it tastes delicious. delicious. But it also adds a hell of a lot of calories to your meal. Um steer away from say cream based dishes um if you're drinking then it's like wine wine or the bread basket basically yeah take your pick of what you're going to enjoy the most alcohol or dessert so you know if you're going out and you're like right i definitely want that chocolate brownie because i had it last time and it was really great then forgo the two three glasses of prosecco yeah so it's making those decisions um trying to I would, a a Chinese, again, because most of the stuff is higher in fat, generally fried or in rich sauces. So much salt. Yeah, and so much salt and MSG. I never feel good after a Chinese, and I don't eat them very often for that reason. Um, But, you know, sometimes work dues are at Chinese restaurants or Indian restaurants or wherever else, and you just got to go with what's on offer, and that's that. Um, And you just pick the best um for for yourself that again you're going to enjoy but is more in line with what you're trying to achieve and don't go in starving again hunger yeah. scale if you go in at a two absolutely starving you're going to overeat at that meal so you can bank calories kind of across the week so say for example you're going out for dinner if you just take out 200 calories a day monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday that's a thousand calories that you've Quick kind of maths. banked thanks <laughs> sweating that's a thousand calories you banked for a dinner out yeah. at the weekend and 200 calories is not a lot but if on a saturday well, it's a you, snack a couple of snacks yeah isn't it's it? a banana and a i don't know a banana sorry and a sorry there you go um so it's not that much each day to then be like okay i can now go out for a whole pizza finish the pizza and know that my cows are still kind of in check if you take out a thousand calories of your day, you are going to be so hungry. That's yeah. like you're now not eating throughout the whole day. So think ahead. If you know you're going out for dinner next weekend, plan your week so that you're getting your protein in, getting your veggies in, slightly lower calories each day. So not over restricting, but just thinking logically about, you know, your calorie balance so that by the time it gets the weekend, you can enjoy your food. You've got it in the bank. And yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is share. Share stuff, like share a dessert, share a pizza. Like, none of us actually need all of the calories of a whole pizza in life. Mm -hmm. You could get a side salad and share a pizza with somebody if somebody else is keen for that. And you generally find that somebody would be. um, Or you might have a a kid, again... We've been out to Italian restaurants and you look and you're like, you're ordering a pizza each. It's like, so we don't need all this. Like, I could share that with the two with my two girls and we'd still all have enough to eat. And be saving some dosh as well. Um, yeah, I went but out yeah. for um, Thanksgiving dinner with three friends, well, Becky and two friends. And we were, we were stuffed after the main. Um, but there was this pudding, like one of those chocolate bomb things mm. with the salt caramel thing, and all of us were like, that sounds amazing. We got one to share between the four of us. And I bet so it, it was, was like, enough. Yeah, it was, it was. It was really rich. It was delicious. We got like two to three bites each. Yum city. That was it. We did not need the whole thing ourselves. I mean, it Yum probably city. was like a thousand calories well, or something. something. Yeah, but that's it, isn't it. It's like, then if you've bought it and it's expensive and it's delicious, you feel obliged to eat, eat it. it. Mm. So it's always good if you've got somebody who'll... He'll go dibsies in with you. Yeah. 
Right. right. That, we covered a lot of ground today. We did. Today. I feel like we were speed talking at the end of I know, because this is like ticking over to 60 minutes and we're like looking at each other. Keep your questions coming in, guys. We really appreciate them and we hope that it helps. And again, yeah, you can message either of us if you need more information or you want something more specific to yourself. Obviously, it is general and there are always so many dimensions to um anything fitness and nutrition so many it depends um it's, we should have called the po- podcast it depends, it depends. yeah rethinking that <laughs> we've got Catherine coming on on thursday and we're talking everything so menopause perimenopause so get questions in for menopause because it's gonna be so good it's gonna be a banger 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 <laughs> all right thanks guys bye, bye.